Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Greetings and salutations. You know, Mike Hen, who works for the Indy 11 and formerly was with the Pacers and Fever, used to come on once a week when I was at WIBC just to kind of preview what they had going on at Pacers Sports and Entertainment. And every time we had him on, he would begin the segment with greetings and salutations, and that has been stuck in my head forever. And I actually have zero issue with doing something on the radio that replicates Mike Ken because he's just one of those dudes. You ever meet those people, Jimmy, that you're like, this guy never has a bad day. You know yes. what I mean? Just one of those people that you're around him and you're like, I could just hang out with this guy all the time because he's always upbeat. Eternal optimism. Correct. That's Mike Ken. Uh, so... On a Mike and today's Wednesday, right? It is Wednesday on because, the holiday week. Yep. Do you want to know? Th- this is how you know that you're in the second half century of your life. Do you want to know how I keep straight what days of the week it is? How? We'll begin with this, Eddie Garrison. How do you keep straight what day of the week it is? Uh, my phone. Figured that would probably be a common answer. You and then, Jimmy, most of the time, common sense. <laughs> but what about on a Monday that's a holiday that feels like a Sunday? Well, see, I know trackside's on Tuesday nights, and so I trackside last night, so it just automatically told me it was Tuesday night. Okay, fair enough. Either the phone or the watch. You just flip the wrist. What does your watch do your phone doesn't? We've had this discussion off air. It does most of the same stuff, mm-hmm. but with the... Keeps you from the inconvenience of reaching an extra yes, four inches. exactly. And okay. you know what? You know in this day and age of media, those four inches can matter sometimes okay. between well, here we go. getting stories done and not done. You we know? made I mean, it two weeks. Now we're off the air. Um, <laughs> no, you are correct. Okay, so, and I'm a watch guy. I don't know if you know this or not, Jimmy. We're just, you and I are just getting to know each other, right? Yeah. The, the audience is listening in each and every day while the two of us, and, and, and I didn't even take chemistry in high school because that was for the advanced science kids, so I took earth science, but but people are witnessing before their very eyes and ears the chemistry that's growing. It's right? a beautiful getting, thing. Getting to know one another. I'm a watch freak, but I don't have an Apple watch. And a cologne freak. And a cologne freak. That is correct. I'm wearing cologne today. Can you tell, Eddie? No. Okay. He is reminiscing about the post that you made <laughs> I know. Well, regarding I, I how many have bottles a, which are on the shelf. Which of your 40 bottles of cologne are you wearing today? I have a problem, uh, admittedly. I believe today I'm going with Burberry. But the thing I was going to ask about the days of the week, the way I could tell what day of the week it is, and this is how I know that I'm now 51, um, whichever slot I'm, I'm taking my daily medication out of. Nice. <laughs> I have like the little the little thing. And now I've even got like one in my travel bag, one in my car in case I get stuck on the side of the road and I'm living off a, a box of Girl Scout cookies and bottled water <laughs> like you hear about once a year. And then, you know, I've got them everywhere. But the medications are very important. Dr. Motman's very proud of me. Uh, good afternoon to you on a Wednesday, in fact. My name is Jake Query. You have heard from Eddie Garrison and Jimmy Cook. This is Query and Company here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Good show lined up for you today. A guy who actually, over the weekend, claimed the IndyCar Season Championship for the second time in his career. And for the first time since 2005, we enter the season finale with the championship already secured. Alex Pillow will join us 27 minutes from right now, then at 2 o'clock, James Boyd to talk about, of course, the Colts and Jaguars, which will be the main topic of conversation today, the National Football League 
and football in general. But before we get to all that, Jimmy, I'll begin with you. Did you do anything exciting last night? No, not a ton. I had a high school soccer match that I called. Uh, It was Fishers and Hamilton Southeastern and some late storms caused that to get... Yeah, those were kind of out of nowhere. Closed right? out of yeah, out of nowhere. Kept looking all day. Like I don't understand this soccer rain would be they're talking about. To call. Thankfully, it's on television. The people, which there's yeah, a small segment helps. of it that no, do it's it different, for radio, different like the style. World Cup and stuff. Right. That that's a whole nother animal. But but television a little bit easier. I always thought Doc Emmerich, who understandably so is widely perceived as the greatest television hockey play-by-play guy of all time. He did it for NBC for years, actually a native of Indiana. Um, Doc Emmerich, I thought, was outstanding doing television hockey play-by-play, but it was only after a couple of years that I realized, and I think the reason I enjoyed it was because I'm a hockey novice. So he was very thorough in explaining what I was watching, but then it dawned on me that what he was doing was essentially radio play-by-play on television because I'm seeing it and he's telling me every single thing that I'm seeing, whereas television, to your point, Jimmy, is a little more like relaxed style of reactionary as opposed to painting a picture. Mm-hmm. So I could see how if someone was a diehard hockey fan, they would consider Doc Emmerich's broadcast to be almost excessive. Yes. But there is a delicate balance there for certain. Um, no question about that. I, I don't think – I have done auto racing on television. I think auto racing on radio is much easier because you're just full throttle and you don't think about what you're saying. Yeah. Like I have no – when you do play-by-play, and you do a lot of it, right? Yeah. That's your, your, your passion, I know, and you're very good at it. Do you remember after the fact any calls you made? Not usually. I don't either. People will say to me, like, for the 500, oh, you said this, you said that, and I'm like, I have zero recollection of any of that. The only one, because it was just a out-of-this-world moment, it was on the AAU ranks. Uh, Zion Williamson's AAU team went up against LeVar Ball and LaMelo Ball's AAU team in Vegas, and it was like fire marshals called in type deal, and Williamson had a breakaway dunk that like made Sports Center. That Wasn't that, John Morant on his AAU team? Not for that particular circuit. I, I, I don't know. Say, I, don't, I mean, I realize the reason I don't think so right. is because he played for his Spartanburg team out in uh, South Carolina. So I, I don't think so. But they might have. They could have crossed paths. Not when I was doing their games, though. Um, John Morant is an interesting segue into one of the things I want to talk about today, and that is this. John Morant got out to an unbelievable NBA start of his career. There's no doubt that he is a phenomenal talent. But as great as he is, you know, he, he started out like a house of fire, and then his career-wise, and I know a lot of this is health. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, you know, it's kind of plate- not plateaued is the wrong word, but you don't hear about him in the same circles now that you hear about some of the other bright young stars in the NBA, just not with the same level, mostly because of injury, I realize. But I'm curious, and, and we'll talk about this coming up later in the show, but during the NFL season each year, there is a team – that there is all kinds of hype and talk and, and, and buzz about. And for the first month of the season, they're an it team. And then all of a sudden, by like Halloween time, you're like, gosh, you know what? We have not talked about them. And I'm curious who that – it. it's always difficult to know who that's going to be. You can kind of forecast it based on teams that just in general are getting too much hype based on their market or one player – 
or like a a national radio host that does a couple shows a month and loves that team, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, then you also have teams that no one talks about that all of a sudden, you know, the Colts were this team. The Colts have been this team on a couple of occasions. The I, I remember one year predicting it would be the Carolina Panthers, and that year I happened to hit. It was literally throwing darts. But there's always a team, Jimmy, that no one talks about, that has no real yet established superstars, that Halloween rolls around and you go, are, are they good? I I think they might be good. They're seven and three now, you know, whatever it might be. And then lo and behold, they make the playoffs and, you know, maybe fizz a lot in the playoffs. But, you know, Seattle was kind of that team a year ago. Yeah, I would agree. You know, Seattle was one that, that a year ago everybody's like, yeah, the Seahawks are probably going to be, you know, in the right there in the Bryce Young sweepstakes. And lo and behold, it's like, whoa, I, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a Geno Smith career revival is the very definition of a team that comes out of nowhere and takes you by surprise. The fact that his career was doomed to be a perennial backup and then gets an opportunity as a starter, thrives in that role in Seattle with Russell Wilson out the door, gets paid for it, and then you're having these conversations in the middle of the season like, Seattle for real? Are they going to make a little bit of noise in the postseason? I'm really curious to see what Seattle does do this year. I've always liked the Seahawks. They're kind of my admittedly they're kind of my NFC team I know that sounds weird but as a kid I've mentioned this several times before Jimmy but as a kid you had the late the early game and the late game and the Colts had not yet moved to Indy so the early game was always usually it was the Bengals or Bears although almost invariably they were so bad they got bounced for the Steelers or Cowboys games because those were the two like America's teams and then for whatever reason the second game, more often than not, at least in my childhood memory, was the Seattle Seahawks and the Kingdome, and like you know, which was kind of dark, but it was it was kind of cool and cozy looking. And the uniforms of the Seahawks back then were just awesome. I I think you and I disagreed on this. You don't like their throwback look, right? Mm, no, it wasn't me. Okay, um, somebody I can't remember who I was talking to was like, "Those things are terrible." I'm I like, very rarely kidding? will disparage against a throwback jersey, even the ugly ones. Like I think about the, uh, I mean the royal the, blue and the, the light the Steelers green. or the Packers, like really old ones. Yeah, some people the, point like, at New York but, Titans or whatever. Uh, yeah, but even those, because of how horrendous they can be, I still appreciate them. They make me I, laugh yeah, and it. smile. So right. I, I'm not one to go against throwbacks uh, of the throwbacks. Now, for me, it's funny to say the Seattle throwbacks because I still think of it as their main uniform. Sure. But um, the Dallas, or excuse me, the Detroit throwbacks that are just the silver helmet and the blue that they wore on Thanksgiving, those are awesome. The Chargers, obviously, which now have kind of become their mainstream. Right. But but anyway, I, I always loved that Seattle logo. And when I was just in Portland over the weekend, you know, you see a lot of Seahawks stuff. And I'm like, man, that logo is just nostalgically so cool to me. But I am curious to see what Seattle does. But um, – you know, so we'll talk about which team that could be. Then there's also a team that everybody gets all in on, and I have a feeling that I know, like, I'm pretty certain of what team I think this year may lay an egg. You know, a team that there's all kinds of hype, there's all kinds of buzz, they're the sexy trend, and it's like things just aren't going to go their way. The Colts in Andrew Luck's rookie year, there was so much hype that first couple of years around, you know, and obviously then 
you know, they 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 made playoff pushes, but that first year in particular, like everything just went their way. You know what I mean? Like every literally every Wednesday of that week, it was like, "Hey, did you hear? The Colts are playing so and so this weekend and their starting quarterback is sick and then in the room he gave the same illness to their backup and so now they're signing a guy off the practice squad that's starting Sunday against the Colts. Like everything went in the Colts way that year. So there's there's always a team that that like that kind of happens with and so then for the next year there's this huge buzz about them and suddenly then the roof caves in on them. And before you know it they're like 6 and 11 and you're like what the hell happened? I have a feeling I, I know who that is. But uh, Eddie, what about you last night? What'd you do? I uh, trackside last night. So as soon as I wrapped up my post-show duties here, went home, grabbed uh, some dinner, came right back to the studio, produced trackside with Kurt Cavan and Kevin Lee. Okay. Fair and enough. then went home and watched the Reds come back and defeat the Mariners and walk it off. I, um, I last night, do you guys ever watch America's Got Talent? auditions yes but after that no only if i see like clips on like social media of like somebody doing something they do get really popular that way with like the viral trends yeah yeah yeah. look at this guy's act yeah kind of the same thing for me i've never really watched it but i'm very confused by this so last night you know here, here it is it's a tuesday that feels like a monday in september and so like you're getting ready for the nfl season and you're just kind of in a lull and you're flipping through the channels. And I have my go-tos on, on nights like that from a television standpoint. But I'm like, I'm flipping the channels and I'm like, oh, America's Got Talent is on. And this fella comes out and he's got like nine swords in his hand. And I'm like, okay, well, this looks like it could be interesting. And and he's hanging from ropes and all this stuff. So he does this act where he like hangs upside down. And then they show Simon Cowell, who's amazed. And have you seen that guy lately? Simon Cowell? He looks like the Joker. Like, he needs to walk away from the Botox. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know what's going on there, but, like, enough's enough. So this guy's hanging upside down, and he's juggling knives, and he's doing all this stuff, and he gets done, and they're like, okay, I forget his name, you are in the running for the finalist for America's Got Talent. Give it up again to for so-and-so, so-and-so of Paris, France. And I'm like, well, no, wait a minute. Paris, <laughs> Illinois, maybe, yes. So then he's in the he's in the running for the finals, but he's got to get more votes than the next contestant, who was lovely and is a visually impaired singer and has a wonderful voice. Her voice reminded me of Sinead O'Connor, actually. She sits down and starts singing, and then they tell her story that she came here to compete from Indonesia. And, and now I'm completely confused about the name of the show. Now, I, I, by no means am I like a xenophobic guy. I'm not at all, and I'm all I'm a more the merrier guy. I got no problem with it. But shouldn't be shouldn't it be called like people coming to America that got talent? Doesn't <laughs> am I am I off base here? I mean, I don't disagree with your premise. I know that there's Britain's Got Talent and there's America's Got Talent, Correct. and I think they've even done a like so a does, world show. So does this show just off mean people that got talent? And it's the American television version of it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are Americans doing it. Because I thought the concept of the show was, you know, hey, here's the guy that's like a house painter and somebody overheard him painting a house and told him he should go try out for a show, kind of like American Idol, right? I got no problem with it. Both of them were fabulous entertainers and I was enjoying watching them. But I but I thought there were like I thought you had to be like the average American person that, that has some weird talent and then you you know what I mean? Like you, Fifi the Dancing Poodle or something like that. You did not buy enough time. Oh, by the way, uh, now now my brain is going to 
take us on different wavelengths here. Uh, I can't remember if I'm saying this right, but the only America's Got Talent act I remember is a group called Alate Dogs, and they were these uh, two dudes with like these large poodles or, or doodles, and they did all these different like dances and tricks and stuff, and they won a couple of years ago. So I, you mentioned uh, Fufu, like the dogs have won the thing before, but you didn't buy me enough time to fully read the history of America's Got Talent on Wikipedia, so I'll just read one line. The program attracts a variety of participants from across the United States and abroad who possess some form of talent. So I guess so. Do you think, let me ask you this. Do you think America is like their safety school? Like, do you think the Indonesian gal was like, well, I was going to go on Britain's Got Talent, but they got that, that Susan Boyle lady and I can't compete with that. So I'm really looking at the American side of it because they're a bunch of slackers. It's like a recruit. that's like, well, you know, I could go play in the big 10 or I can go average 40 in the Mac and I'm I'm going to do that. Exactly. Raise my stock. Is Is that what it is? This is their, they're slacking. So they go to the America's version of America of the Got Talent programs. Where else do they have the the programs? They've got them in Britain, right? I know it's in Britain for certain. Britain's Got Talent, but there's a whole Got Talent franchise. Let's click this, see where it goes <laughs> for us, shall we? I'm uh, a franchisee, actually. It is. What fun. are you doing these days? Oh, I'm actually starting up Malaysia Got Talent. It's I'm a franchisee. Spinoffs in 69 countries, and really? what is now referred as the Got Talent format. Wow. Um, now, see, here's the thing. Wouldn't you be better off going to, like, Luxembourg Got Talent? I mean, there's, like, 70,000 people in the whole country. How many people can there really be that are ta- I mean, You know what I mean? It, co- it covers, this is from Wikipedia, uh, the Arab world, Argentina, Asia, Australia, Azerbaijan, Belgium, Brazil, Bulgaria, Cambodia, Canada, Central... Like, Belgium. Pick a spot. Uh, how many people got- are in Belgium? What are you, like, waffle makers? <laughs> I mean, what, what what kind of competition do you got in I'm the Belgium? I'm glad Bulgaria snuck through there, but Belgium is the <laughs> yeah, one that you went after. I want to I go on Antarctica Got Talent. How about that? There's a, It's me and seven people from National Geographic. What's your talent? I can sing. I can sing better than these guys in parkas. Okay, great. I don't know Congratulations, how, you've advanced. I don't know how actively updated the Wikipedia page is for winners for these contests, but shockingly, some of these only lasted about a season. And yeah, then go figure, right? Folded. They ran out of people. The Antarctica got, got talent. They had seven people from Nat Geo and Ron Say, and they're like, okay, well, we're good. Anyway. Netherlands is still rolling, 08 to 2023. They're getting ready for their upcoming season 13. There you go. Uh, did you see, by the way, that speaking of the world, world basketball – championships uh Luka Doncic got did I read this correctly got ejected yes got two technicals second one late in that game and got bounced as did Lithuania now Eddie's laughing I would just be peak Luka to get ejected (laughs) yeah you know was it for whining Jimmy do you know was it for whining about calls crying I believe it he was upset about something that had happened from an officiating standpoint speaking of the got talent programs you know what would honestly be fantastic television Maybe this would have been better served, and maybe they did it, and I, I I slept on it during like the the COVID thing, where you know they were just doing anything they could to to get programming. But if you're going based off of just social media phenomenon, so to speak, I think a horse game, a game of horse between Luca and Steph Curry, would be fascinating. So there was a stretch very early in the pandemic, and I can't remember who all participated. Correct, but they did have that. NBA players via that. Zoom in their like basketball Correct. courts in, in their backyards. driveway or backyard. Right. I think John Morant was in that, wasn't he? I, I think so. But, you know, I see videos. It, it is amazing. You know, Luca is a basketball magician, as is Steph Curry. And, and who knows in today's world with 
uh, you know, half that stuff might be altered. But I mean, some of the shots that they see, that you see him doing just when he's messing around or at the end of a basketball clinic or something like that is like, holy cow. Um, and he's a fascinating player just for the obvious and the fact that, you know, one of the things about Luca, I think, in basketball that is very underrated and overlooked is, you know, we've all played driveway basketball with our buddies you've all played 21 or horse or what around the world whatever it might be and oftentimes you know you're you're backing somebody down or you're playing pickup ball or whatever it might be and I've always said one of the most challenging things sometimes for players is to always have a gauge of where the basket is in relation to where you are in particular if your back is to the basket you know you do see guys that get down too low and then they turn around and they're almost directly underneath the basket I mean Luca is obviously a perimeter player but his ability at all times to not only know in relation, like when he is penetrating, when he's going to the hole, to know exactly where he is in relation to the hoop. I know that sounds weird, but th- that that kind of spins off into not unlike in hockey or soccer, Jimmy, like you were watching last night, when you see players that can envision exactly where the ball is going, where it's caroming, he understands angles as well as anybody in the league. And so that's why he looks like a guy that just walked out of the pub an hour ago and it's like, oh my gosh. (laughs) And you also forget he's like 6'9", right? right? I mean, you know, that that, that has a huge uh, factor in it as well. But I just think his his actual feel for everything on the floor is, I, I mean, it's really... Right now, certainly, I think it's unmatched. Now, you also look at, you know, the fact that he was playing professionally at such a young age, and then you you think to yourself, like, how was this guy not like a household name before he was drafted? You know what I mean? Yep. I mean, Yao Ming was, and other guys like that. I mean, Darko Milicic, for that matter, was you know got some decent press, and then this guy was just like, okay, and I mean, holy cow, really darn good. Um, Tyrese Halliburton also had a pretty dynamic play. Did you see that? I did not. I, I saw some of the highlights from the last. Eddie just jumped out play. of his seat. Eddie, take me through it. <laughs> I didn't jump out of my seat, but just pretty much a breakaway. And Tyrese, I think it was Mikhail Bridges, maybe Josh. Correct. Yeah, it was Mikhail Bridges. Him and Mikhail Bridges were alone. So Tyrese jumps up, does it between the leg, and then tosses it up for an alley oop to Mikhail Bridges. Mm-hmm. Breakaway. I did see a. This is either from Team USA or it was the FIBA account, but they put together a collage of like all the great point guards in Team USA history and they had Tyrese front and center with that talking about one of the games he's had in the FIBA World Cup I understand that's putting the cart a little bit before the horse but I mean the strides he continues to make and now on the world stage is is impressive I think the thing that and it feels good to see a pacer do it the thing and the thing you hope Jimmy is this and this was I part of why he got the deal that he got when you're Indiana, you know, the Pacers franchise, when they redid, and I don't know the exact naming of it, but at the time, I think it was the St. Vincent, uh, like Ascension Sports, the complex, basically, that, that's where the Pacers, you know, their, their headquarters, if you will, right across from the field house. And it's state-of-the-art. I mean, I've been through it. It's state-of-the-art, from the training to the the eatery, kitchen area, to the showers. I mean, all of it is literally the nicest as nice as you're going to find in the league and the Pacers did that five years ago or so or whatever it was and invested in it in hopes that that would be one of the tools used to recruit 
or convince free agents that Indiana is a place that they would want to play. But you're up against it when you're Indiana for the obvious reasons. The market size, number one. The overall cachet of the franchise, you know, realistically, number two. And and the weather, quite frankly. I mean, if you were a young 25-year-old guy and you're making $7 million a year and you've got your choice between living on frozen Geist or South Beach. sunny South Beach, which one are you taking, right? And so I think the Pacers, part of the reason why Halliburton, and he's a fabulous player who's a top-line NBA player and has great value to any franchise, but he might have more value to Indiana than he would say to Phoenix or L.A. or Miami because of the fact that they are hoping that he is a straw that is capable of mixing a drink of other ingredients that are going to want to come and be part of the cocktail that they're putting together. And they are hoping, the Pacers are as a franchise, that Tyrese Halliburton is the anchor now that is finally going to be able to get them more notable free agents than, like, say, David West, who's probably the biggest one they've gotten. Sam Perkins, maybe, you know, but you get what I'm saying there. And this is, Jimmy, this is this is part of what that is, yes. right? I mean, part of him playing for Team USA and playing with those guys is just to get him on the spotlight where some wing out there or some center or whatever it might be, centers probably don't even exist anymore, but you get what I'm saying, are looking at it going, I want to I want to run with that guy. And it, that's their hope. It's the baseline for every franchise, but for the major markets, they can get away with it a little bit more because of, like you mentioned, the amenities, the location, where they are on the map. But to have a franchise piece that has cachet to him that is an attractive piece to play next to if you're a player that's seeking an opportunity to compete for a championship. You have to have foundational pieces in place, especially so when you're a smaller market. And even then, sometimes it's not enough, but that's the baseline. That's the entry to be able to get in. Tyrese Halliburton, day by day, continues to look like that piece for the Pacers. By the way, I noticed you're, uh, as you were talking there, because I said I'm a watch guy. I was looking at your watch, and it was it was uh, blowing up, as the kids say. What's going on? Anything exciting? It's it's giving you notification. Uh, happy Hump Day on Query and Company with Jake Query oh. and Jimmy Cook. Really? So Was that Eddie? Tweet from 107.5. Can I confirm nor deny? <laughs> that's, that's, all right, fair enough. Uh, my phone actually just buzzed as well because, see, I get notifications on my phone because and it, it's not connected to my watch. Right. Because my watch... Uh, Your time turner right. over there doesn't... Uh... That's right. But my phone did buzz, and it buzzed to tell me that coming up on the other side, it's Alex Pillow. With American Legion sponsorship on one of the side pods, he is a likable young driver, and he will come off of turn number 14 and see the twin checkers in the air. Alex Pillow, a dominant run. He led 53 laps on the day. He goes to victory lane by 16 seconds over Pato Award, and the popularity of the legend continues to grow. The advanced auto parts checkered flag is in the air, and Alex Pillow is going to go to victory lane. He wins the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix Presented by Lear. Alex Below going to put a stranglehold on this championship for now. Grab a 74-point lead as he will crest the hill and see the advanced auto part checkered flag as Alex Below dominates late and wins the Sanzio Grand Prix at Road America. Presented by AMR, a rising star in open wheel racing. Alex Below.
Lowe was going to go to victory lane. The Advance Auto Parts checkered flag flies, and he wins the Honda Indy 200 at Mid-Ohio. All the off-track distractions did not distract him on track. He weaves to the start-finish line. The Advance Auto Parts twin checkered flags in the air. The 2021 champion becomes the 2023 champion. Congratulations to Alex Pelot. He wins the BitDial.com Grand Prix of Portland. Halfway through the 12 o'clock hour, Jake Quarry along with Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison putting that fine piece of audio together. Mark Jaynes on the IMS IndyCar Radio Network joining us now on the hotline. Indeed, for the second time now, he is a champion of the NTT IndyCar Series, and he does so with a race to go. The first time since Dan Weldon in 2005 that a driver has accomplished that feat. So Alex Pillow, first and foremost, congratulations on what I know has been a dream season for you, certainly at least within the cockpit. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been an amazing season. Um, just uh, had tons of speed, uh, lots of consistency, and it's been really fun, honestly. So, yeah, cannot wait for for trying to do a lot more like we did this year. So, you know, it's interesting from a broadcast standpoint, Alex. I love, you know, Laguna Seca is such a cool track. It's such a cool area of the country in Monterey. I think you're already out on the West Coast now. It's beautiful. So there's a lot to celebrate, and it is fun. But what's the mindset? Because to me, it almost feels like an exhibition race because the championship's concluded now, right? So it's almost like the last day of school of just like, well, let's just go have fun. But what's the driver's standpoint? Yeah, I mean, it's it's always fun to go racing. But uh, I would say that uh, it's going to be probably my first time where – uh, I can go to a last race and uh, not worry about uh, championship points and just enjoy. I normally just enjoy the race and stuff. So we, being such uh, an amazing season, we want to still finish as high as possible and uh, try and be happy not only for the championship but also for the race that uh, we might have in Laguna. It's a great place for us. So, yeah, some people might think that it's just a fun race, but uh, we still we still want to win it. We still want to finish as high as possible. Alex, when you captured your fourth win of the season at Mid Ohio, it felt like, at least from from my standpoint, for a lot of people that follow the sport, that you had a total stranglehold on this thing. How did you keep yourself locked in, and what was your mindset over the final half of the season? Obviously, closing things out last week. Yeah, so not looking at points, honestly. Um, it's uh, there's been a lot of people that since May said that uh, that we we had to start thinking about the championship, uh, and then also after that when we won uh, Mid Ohio, Road America, and Detroit, uh, some people said that it was only a, a championship that we could lose. But um, man, it's it's tough in IndyCar. We, we saw at some moments where Joseph uh, started winning and got really close to us. Also, Scott here at the end. So um, just not looking about the points and just focusing on the race, um, on the race weekends, trying and maximize what we could do. And I think we did, actually. So um, I'm, I'm happy how everything went until this point, for sure. Now, Alex, I apologize for doing this to you, but for the, for the listening audience that doesn't follow IndyCar as closely, I'm going to recap from an off-track standpoint, what your last year has been like. So I apologize, but I want our listeners to know, okay? So if I'm off base, feel free to jump in and be like, dude, you have no idea what you're talking about, okay? So 
Alex Pelot drives for Chip Ganassi. Last year, late in the season, word got out that Alex Pelot, as a matter of fact, there was a tweet sent that Alex Pelot would be joining the McLaren team for this season, Aaron McLaren. Chip Ganassi's team then said, wait a minute, not so fast. Alex Pelot is still under contract. That was kind of hashed out both publicly and privately over the course of, I don't know, a month or something like that. And it was determined that, yes, in fact, you would still drive with Chip Ganassi. Then towards the end of this year, McLaren comes out and says, it appears as though Alex Pelot is not going to honor what he had said he is going to do for us next year. And in fact, he might stay with Chip Ganassi. While all of that was going on, you were winning races and dominating weekends. Did all of the drama, all of the speculation, and all of the chatter about what was going on with Alex Pelot, the driver, actually help you because it forced you when you were inside the cockpit with the helmet on to just focus on one thing, and that was your sanctuary from all of the noise? Um, no, I would say it, it never helps, obviously, um, what, what happened off track. Um, uh, I wish that it would have went uh, different ways or, uh, yeah, like just a, a normal off-season or of the track record. But um, it's not been that way, so it's been it's been tough. But honestly, at the end of the day, I only had one one job to do, and it was to go fast on track and try and win races. Um, I I now have uh, people that take care of uh, the off-track things, and uh, everything seems to be going the right way at the moment, and, and the way that it's going to be the best for uh, for my future. So, yeah, it was not easy. I wouldn't say that it helped me, um, but uh, I would say that I'm I'm happy looking now back that uh, it didn't really affect us on achieving the goal that we had, which was just to win the championship. It's interesting because from an outside perspective, at the racetrack, you never really did change. I mean, like in terms of interviewing you, watching you, getting in the car, with all of that, you know, you you always kind of had this light demeanor about yourself and, and like a smiling, pleasant demeanor about yourself. But at what point, Alex, if at all, did it all start to become <clears throat> too much? I mean, to your point where it was like you were aware of all of it, when was it the most challenging? Um, I would say last year uh, when everything went uh, out in public, um, obviously – I, I was not used to it, and it was it was tough. It's it's not easy for for an athlete to have to think about off track things uh, on top of what you need to do on track. Um, I would say this year, obviously, it's been uh, a bit less, just because I I learned about uh, last year how to be a bit stronger mentally um, and just focus on track. So yeah. I would say it, it's been tough. It's been tough, uh, but especially last year. You know, of all the times I've interviewed you, Alex Pelot is our guest on the hotline, driver, of course, of the NTT data car for Chip Ganassi Racing and now a two-time series champion. Of all the questions I've asked you in interviews, be it pit lane or in, in radio interviews, you've never hesitated to have you know, a composed answer. The only time I've ever actually asked you a question that I thought – made you stop to think because you weren't sure how to answer it, was I asked you once if you could suggest a place in Barcelona where there aren't tourists. <laughs> and there aren't, aren't any, right? 
Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's tough. It's tough nowadays in uh, to go there and not have any tourists. So it's it's true. I mean, it was the probably the only thing that I didn't know how to give you a good answer. <laughs> well, you actually, um, so I don't even. You probably there's no reason you would remember this. You, you suggested a, a small little like outdoor cafe bar on the beach there, which and I yeah. didn't even realize that the beach, Alex. It, they like basically made that beach for the Olympics in '90 and they just kept it there they imported all this sand um but it was a home run man it was an awesome location so kudos to you with the right answer yeah i'm glad i'm glad you enjoyed uh it's 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 nice it's really awesome and i cannot wait to go there and visit those places as well because when i go now i'm i'm like a tourist i don't have a house there anymore so i like to enjoy uh the the typical places so i cannot wait to go there on the off season and uh visit the, those places Alex, moving away from IndyCar for just a second, are you still in the running to be a part of Formula One? And is that still something you desire to be a part of one day? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I it's uh, it's let's say that it's not my main focus. Obviously, I, I keep track of it. Um, it's something that everybody know. I, I tried uh, and I wanted to have a shot. Um, I think it's... It's normal, especially coming from somebody that uh, grew up in, in Europe and just wants to see uh, if I could be part of uh, probably the, the biggest series uh, in, in single-seaters. But um, honestly, it's not my only focus. I'm not crazy about it. Um, I'm in a really happy place in, in IndyCar, winning championships, winning races, fighting for uh, almost every race weekend, and I love it. If I have an opportunity, I'll, I'll, I'll check if it's good, uh, if it's interesting, um, but I wouldn't trade it for uh, for everything. I, I'm, I'm in a really, really happy place. I know that you said to Ryan Marine on the radio, for IndyCar Radio, after the race, he had asked you the question about next year, and you um, certainly had said yes, but I, I want to clarify it this time, I guess, in permanent ink. Can we definitively say that Alex Pillow will be back with Chip Ganassi Racing next year in the NTT IndyCar Series? Um, well, well, we'll see when, uh, whenever we have to announce stuff. Um, I mean, nothing has been announce um but yeah i mean i i cannot really say something that it's not been announced maybe in on that moment i uh i said something yeah i remember what i said obviously but um yeah we'll we'll see we'll let's give it a bit of time and uh whenever it's time to announce stuff officially uh we will be happy to do so alex i've always been fascinated by this in basketball, you can tell a guy that's going to be a great player because you know he has more athleticism. He can he can jump higher. He has better hand eye coordination. In baseball, you can tell because a guy um, you know is able to throw the ball faster. You know whatever it might be. In auto racing, it's different. You know guys get out there. You go out and I watch it. I mean I watch practice. I watch qualifying, and it's a tenth of a second, a hundredth of a second that separates one guy from the next. Where is the speed found? In reality, when it comes to auto racing, for those that are not auto racing enthusiasts and don't understand the differences, what is it that you are able to do that other drivers are not that separates you in that tenth or hundredth of a second? Wow, that's a tough question, man. Um, I agree with you. It's it's tough in motorsport because it's not only the 
driver. Um, as you could see, basketball yeah, is a team sport, for example, but um, you can see the single moments of that um, of that player, like, as you say, jumping a little more than everybody else. And you can just know that he's really good making those shots. But in, in motorsport, um, it's, it's the driver that drives the car, but you need a great team around to make you look good. Um, and now I have it. I, I have a team that gives me all the tools that I need to uh, to do the best uh, that I can do. But it's sometimes it's tough and, and people is not in, in the right place and it's tough for uh, for young drivers especially to, to show their talent. But um, as you say, maybe it's just a difference of one-tenth of a second, but one-tenth of a second over 100 laps, it's uh, a lot of seconds uh, at the end of the day. So I would say it's tough. It's tough to judge motorsport, but I would say speed, obviously, and then overtakes. You can uh, judge a driver by the overtakes and aggressiveness, but that might come uh, over the years with experience and being comfortable with a car in the series. So it's tough. Alex, I'd heard that you were able to make it to a Colts game for the first time recently. Uh, How was Lucas Oil Stadium if you were able to make it out there? Yeah, so my first time was actually in 21, wow. once I won the championship, but uh, I went also uh, during preseason games, I would say like three three or four weeks ago, um, and, and it was great. Um, I, I love it. I love the energy. Now I understand a little bit more about uh, football uh, than I did before. Uh, the first time I went, I just didn't know how the game was working, but now uh, I've been watching a lot more from home and trying to learn. So I would say I know a little bit more now and I'm going to follow uh, all season long. Uh, I cannot wait for for it to get started. I believe it starts on like tomorrow, right? Uh, some some big matches. So um, <laughs> I'll be... That's right. Uh, yeah, so I'll be following uh, and cheering for the Colts for sure. So you live here now, right, Alex? And when I say here, I mean Indianapolis, right? Yes. Okay, so if you were given season – well, I shouldn't say season tickets because one of them, there's a lot more games. If you could go to one or the other, because you've been to both, do you prefer watching Colts games or Pacer games? Um, I enjoyed both a lot, honestly. But I would say I enjoyed a little bit more the Colts because uh, of the energy that there was uh, those times that I went and also – um, maybe I'm, I'm more used to uh, basketball in Spain. We we also have basketball, and I went already there. So for me, it didn't uh, it didn't wake me up that much as as NFL did. So when you win races, you go and have fried chicken. Now that you've won a championship, when you come back to Indianapolis, your favorite place to get fried chicken in Indy is where? Um, I would say. We normally get it like the other day. I, I got it in in Portland. Um, I stopped doing it a little bit because of my weight. Uh, you know that drivers <laughs> need to keep their weight. Uh-huh, yeah. Well, you're five. winning too much, right? That's the problem. Yeah, with that's what I was gonna say. With five wins a year, you cannot really do it every time. Otherwise, my engineers would get very mad. So I stopped doing it, um, but I did get uh, a little bit after Portland. Um, and maybe we will uh, one time in India with a team and stuff to celebrate. Got to go to Hollyhock Hill. The Eagle Eagle's good, but Hollyhock Hill's like the traditional one. All right, Alex, I'm going to ask you one last question before we let you go, and this is from a listener. So this is a listener question, but I think it's a good one. Uh, so I'm going to ask it to you. 
Jake, can you please ask Alice, uh, Alex, from a driver's standpoint, what is the appeal of Formula One considering it seems like one or two guys seem to win all the races? Yeah, that's true. But I would say um, there's there's some good stuff that goes around uh, even if you're like P6 or P7, that you have a car to develop, uh, that you develop with your um, with your team, with your factory. You have... A longer season. I just like to race, man. I, uh, if they put ten more races in IndyCar, I would take it. Probably my wife wouldn't be as happy as as I am. But uh, um, they they do a lot more races. Different. They go to obviously uh, a lot more different countries, uh, which is cool. But I would say it's very appealing sometimes to try and get a team that uh, doesn't have a car developed uh, and is. I would say, let's say, finishing always 15th and try and get that car to 10th. So, um, yes, I love winning, and that's the thing that I like the most. But um, that's, let's say, one of the appealing things uh, on the other side. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to Mike Hole before you signed with Ganassi, actually, and he was telling me that you got on his radar when he watched what you were able to do in racing a series in Japan because he thought – that that was a series that had the best challenge for a driver in terms of the technicality of cars and being able to adapt to cars and your ability to win in that series indicated to him that you would be able to win in the NTT IndyCar series. So development is very important. Technological sound is very important. So too is winning, and you've done a lot of it since you got with Chip Ganassi. Uh, Hopefully we'll be watching you do that exact same thing again next year, Alex. But before then, one race left. Laguna Seca, uh, I will be out there on Friday. I'll see you at the racetrack on Saturday and certainly appreciate your time as always. But enjoy the West Coast and all that comes with the championship. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, guys. All right, that's Alex Pillow on the hotline, the season champion for the NTT IndyCar Series. Let's let's be honest, Jimmy. Um, you know, Indianapolis is basically the Barcelona of the United States, right? Yes. I mean, if you were born and raised in Barcelona, Bar and then you move to Indianapolis, you're like, yeah, it's pretty much the same, right? I think you wake up some days, get confused. Mediterranean Sea, yep. Geist, you yep. know, Olympic Village, mm-hmm. IEPUI, very, all of it, pretty similar. Yep. You know, I mean, Picasso Museum, Vonnegut <laughs> Museum, it's all the same. All virtually the same. Thank you to Alex Blow. Interesting question, or interesting answer, I should say, uh, in regards to next year. I do think that he will be back with Chip Ganassi, but... Um, doesn't want to steal the thunder, probably, of a sponsor event. Uh, James Boyd's going to join us at 2 o'clock. We'll get into a lot of NFL conversation coming up in the 1 o'clock hour, including just kind of that prognostication of the feel of different franchises, different teams. Um, who's kind of on the rise? Who's a team that, that might surprise you? We'll get into all of that coming up 1 o'clock hour. You're listening to Aquarian Company on a Wednesday, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Lots of football talk coming up 1 o'clock hour. Okay, based on this song... Jimmy Cook, in terms of global musical icons, Mick Jagger would be in the top what? For me or like no, objectively? Just, yeah, objectively. Top 10? Eddie? Probably say top 20. Top 20? Yeah. Globally? I don't know, Globally. Yeah, I probably go. Yeah, top, top 10. 20. Yeah, top 10. No. He's top five, right? 
I'll let you in on a secret with this. Jake has forgotten. We've talked about it. We're not the biggest concert goers or musicians. No, I get no. But I, I, I assumed that but that's, Mick Jagger, it would be insulting to go further than top 10 from an objective standpoint. So that's why I top went 20? Top 20? Like, give me who's 18 or 19? Who would you put right in front of them? <laughs> I knew you would do this to me. That's why I, I walked it back. And I to get Jimmy. it. I mean, I, I totally understand that right now there are musicians that, like, Taylor Swift right now is obviously globally, you know, probably number one. But in terms of totality, body of work over the last, like, 40 years, uh, it'd be McCartney, right? Yes. I mean, Jagger's got to be. Uh, Dylan's up there. Madonna's actually up there. If you're doing the last 20 years, living. Michael Jackson. Oh, living, okay, I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, I don't living. know if we're going living or... D- Michael Jackson. But yeah. Yeah, he's probably... Top three, if not one. Yeah, Queen? if not one. But they're not living, though. Yeah, I know. I mean, Freddie Mercury, No, if especially if Freddie Mercury was still living. Beyonce. No Beyonce. Led Zeppelin? See, Beyonce's up there. Robert Plant would be up there in the mix, for sure. Um, Rihanna? I think, again, in the now, yes, the... the the thing that always fascinates me about these conversations is, for example, Mick Jagger's been around and has been producing music for nearly 60 years. So 60 years, and his relevance is still pretty high. I know it's not obviously what it was, but but Rihanna, 60 years from now, is she still going to be as big as she is right now? It's the totality of the fact that he is, you know what I mean, that he's maintained that level of... So few people... May, like keep a a limelight relevance for multiple decades, and, and furthermore, uh, posthumously, it's even more difficult. Britney Spears, I would say, Pink too. Floyd, at least from what I've heard. Again, I've never seen a show, but I hear as Britney Spears is a you know headlining Las Vegas, like a, a no, you're right, great show to see. I don't, I don't know. Uh, okay, can you name the lead singer of Pink Floyd? No. Can you name the lead singer of the Rolling Stones? No. Okay. I'm very bad with remembering names and who's in what it's band. Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger. Yeah. Okay. It's Rolling Stones. There you go. Okay. Um, that song, actually, I think probably extended him a little bit because it introduced people to... The, the, the best was when Paul McCartney, was it, was it Kanye or Jay-Z that did like a television one of the award shows duet on stage with Paul McCartney. Kanye, Kanye and Rihanna and Paul McCartney did a song and together. And somebody sent a tweet that was like, Kanye's about to make this old guy blow up. <laughs> like, Does a little man. part of you die inside with these conversations? Because no. I always feel bad whenever we go down no, I get Music it. Avenue. Even though at least I gave him top I ten. I think it just shows our youthful nature, Jimmy. Actually, I think for Eddie, a little piece of him dies. <laughs> yes. No, yeah. Just kidding. Uh, when we come back, NFL... Uh, who's up in terms of stock? Who's not? And prognostications. We'll get into that conversation next. Uh, this from Racer X on Twitter. This is a sports show, not a music show. Let's talk sports, Jake. When are the higher-ups going to get tired of you totally taking shows in different directions? This is why no one likes you. Even your co-hosts think it's awkward when you get off the subject of sports and go on a 10 to 15-minute rant of stuff that has nothing to do with sports on a sports show. Go start your own damn podcast, and you can talk about whatever BS you want to talk about. I just want to look into the YouTube audience camera. Jake is not forcing me to say this. I'm not not (laughs) blinking for help right now. It was not awkward in the DriveHuber.com studios. Thank you. Well, see, Jimmy, you looked at the wrong camera because I was wide on the one shot. J- one of Jake's hard nipples showing on. Uh, yeah, it is like the screen on there. I don't know the same message. To how the do I how do I move this camera so that when I'm standing up? I mean, this has got to be driving Racer X. Actually, here's well, the thing. It's a good thing I have this one up here. Yeah, we go wide shot when you stand up. I, it, it's hard to take, and, and I 
I, I try not to be like a, a, a Twitter or what's it called now, X. I try not to be um, like an X snob, but it's hard to take seriously somebody that tells me that no one likes me when I see that they have four followers. I'm like, well, let's talk about who no one likes, yeah. right? I'm just saying for what it's worth. It's, it's, it's a tough, tough, no leg to stand on situation there for... I'm trying. To, I'm standing on both, but I'm going low so that you can't see that my nipples are hard, <laughs> according to Eddie. Th- this camera is not made for, for people that are six foot four. Uh, good afternoon to you on a Wednesday. NFL season set to kick off tomorrow night. Your beloved Kansas City Chiefs and Dr. Motman's fighting Detroit Lions. Battling it out. Should we place a wager between you and my cardiologist? Sure. What would we wager, though? That's a good question. I, you know, he he probably doesn't want to have. Although I do know he likes PBR. Six pack of PBR. I can roll six pack. <laughs> sure. Mot- Motman tells me every year this is the year for the Lions. <laughs> you know. I mean, they have an opportunity to make a statement, right? They've hype been there all off season. Everybody talks about the way they closed at the end of last year, bouncing the Packers from playoff contention. Dan Campbell, aka Man Campbell, running through with. His Lions defense and biting kneecaps, biting kneecaps off left and right. Chiefs likely to be without Travis Kelsey. We know Chris Jones isn't going to be there. They'll get their opportunity. I still think Kansas City pulls it out, but this is a we have arrived moment. And the game is where in Kansas City. Yeah, see that's the difference right there. It right? is. By the way, Jake, if they do make this wager, how can we rely on you not to drink the PBRs yourself? Because <laughs> I would assume Jimmy would have to hand them over to you, and then you would have to hand them over. To your Mott, cardiologist, we'd have Motman call in. Well, he can't hand him over the phone. No, but I'm saying Motman would call in to verify that I made the delivery. Go get okay. it. Go put a <laughs> like the gentleman with the cat a couple weeks ago. Go put an AirPod on the uh, PBR. <laughs> we can track right. it. But the AirPod went out, right? Yeah. So we could do an air tag, Eddie. Charlie the, the cat longer. made it home. Yep. Just so you know, Charlie the cat I'm made glad. it home. I'm glad. Um, okay, so when you look at the NFL season and you look at the standings, and, and there are always let's just determine this right now amongst the three of us every year guys every year there's a sexy trendy team that everyone's like man i think you know they're they're ready to take the next step those three teams in your guys opinion are who would you say are the teams that are most commonly referred to as the 2023 nfl season being the one where they are ready to take the next step and start to contend for a you know, late into the postseason. I'm going to eliminate the Eagles from this conversation because they were at the Super Bowl last year and that doesn't feel like a the next step for them is to win it all. Yeah, I'm talking about a team that that had Sure. You know, maybe made the playoffs. Let, let's say if you won more than a playoff game, you're you're eliminated sure. from this conversation. I would so that say that would eliminate Jacksonville. They won a playoff game though. Yeah. That's the line. Any more oh, than okay. one playoff game. I would say Buffalo, Cincinnati, and Jacksonville would be my three. But, but, but Buffalo and Cincinnati have been. Com- I'm, I, I, thought going off, I thought you were just going off last yeah, year. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm saying like teams that are that are that people like. For example, Detroit would be one. Okay, like that 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 didn't make the postseason, but now like everybody's like, man, I'm telling you, like they they've shown the signs that they that you know they were a year like. Last year, people were saying they're two years away, and now that year is here, right? Jacksonville would be one of them because of Lawrence's second half. I think Detroit would definitely be one of them. Um, you know, oftentimes people put the Chargers in this category. Every year they put the Chargers in this category. Right, but it never it never happens for them, right? No. Um, the New York Jets, I think, are the other one. Yes, I would agree. Now with Aaron Rodgers, it's, you know, they're a sexy pick. They're going to be, you know, this is, they're ready to take the next step. I would also throw... 
Miami into that conversation, but so much of that hinges on Tua's health. There's already kind of like a tightrope walk that's built in to this. Are they going to fall or not conversation? But yeah, Miami belongs in that same vein. Um, You were right about Miami and Tua, though, right? I just they have weapons, man, And, and I think you know the interesting thing about Tua is Jimmy when we so often say. If Tua can just stay healthy, you know, then we'll really see who he is. I and I think he's a good quarterback. But have we seen enough to know that if he's healthy, that he takes the step into becoming a top ten quarterback? I would say no, but I would say there's enough optimism there from the weapons that are around him for just him being out there with what other options they would have had at quarterback is enough to stabilize them. The other thing they're going to rely on this year, and this has both been a national talking point and those that appreciate the game have always liked Vic Vangio's mind from a defensive standpoint. Obviously things didn't work out the way he wanted to as a head coach, but Miami's whole buy-in this year is bringing Vic Vangio in to run their defense. They are going to take a step forward in that realm and by account also take a leap forward into the postseason and, and make a little bit of noise there. Of the teams that we just mentioned, which do you think is the most legitimate to, in fact, become a contender? I'd also like to toss in Baltimore into this equation because I think with the addition of Odell, Zay Flowers, Lamar coming back underneath contract, I think they're a team that can fall into that category. Baltimore, to me, is one of those teams that just never goes away, right? Like the... The old era of the Buffalo Bills back in the AFC East when the Colts were in it, for like five years you were waiting for them to drop off after Jim Kelly and Bruce Smith was getting older, and they just they never did. They were always good. And Baltimore does feel that way. That's not a bad call because Baltimore Baltimore's kind of like Pittsburgh in the fact that they're they never have the sub five you know what I mean? They never the, the bottom never totally drops out for them, so long as they're healthy. Um I think the team of that group and part of it is based on scheduling. But I do think Jacksonville is going to be pretty darn good because I admittedly maybe I'm a you know I'm a little bit biased because I think the world of Trevor Lawrence is a quarterback, but I think their defense as we talked about yesterday with John Osher, I think Jacksonville's defense is pretty good. Um they're aggressive. They're a little bit they got a little bit of a nastiness about them. Offensively, I think they're going to be able to put up a lot of points and then guys, let's be real. They're in a division with two teams that are in a complete rebuild and one that appears to be backpedaling in Tennessee. This division has all the air markers of if you wind the clocks back 15 years or so and you look at peak Peyton Manning in Indianapolis and you look at the rest of the division, correct. you're yes. laughing at everybody else correct. that's there and 100% saying, okay, correct. what are the playoffs? Yes, that's a, that, that, that is totally accurate. Uh, totally accurate. Now, that said, watch, Jacksonville comes in here and lays an egg yep. on Sunday. I, and, that's possible. And Tennessee and Mike Vrabel are... Not at the level of Baltimore, but are another thorn-in-the-side team that'll continue to squeak out six wins, and they'll wreak havoc in the division. That's something that, I mean, I was young, but I don't really remember that being present in the way that is just so maddening that Mike Vrabel and his teams do that the South did during those Peyton years. Okay, give me the five teams that are the absolute dominant conversation thought to be the five front-runners to contend for a Super Bowl this year? Kansas City. Correct. Philadelphia. Correct. Cincinnati. Correct. San Francisco. Okay. I'd say Baltimore. 
Buffalo. I would say Buffalo. I, like they have the best. If you go to, if you look right now on the Vegas odds, I would bet those are the five teams with the best. Uh, you know what I mean? That are that are thought to be the front runners, right? I could yes, I could stop at five, but for the sake of a sixth team, I bet they're not the. I bet they're lower on this chart than Baltimore. So there's Kansas City, yep. Philly, yep, Buffalo, yep, Cincinnati, yep, San Francisco, yeah, in that order, yep. Following that, that next five: Cowboys, Ravens, Jets, Lions, Chargers. Okay, of that front five, the one most likely to have. And this always happens, guys. I'm telling you, it always happens. There is always a team that just nothing goes their way. Somebody gets hurt. They start – every team they play is on a total hot streak. They they have a key game late in the year where all of a sudden, like, a monsoon comes in and it's a 9-6 to six fumble fest, et cetera. There's always a team where the football gods just frown upon them and nothing goes their way. For me this year, that team is going to be either – it's one one of these two, the floor is going to fall fall out from underneath them. It's going to either be Buffalo or San Francisco. Buffalo has been very charmed in the last few years, and I think Josh Allen is a hell of a talent. But Stephon Diggs, you know, there's a, there's a seems to be something weird going on there. Like I just I think Buffalo, there there's so much talk about Buffalo, right? And that division's not terrible. I mean. The Jets, you know, I think obviously are going to be competent. And then as we talked about Miami, and, and I don't, I never rule out a New England team of being at least competitive and, and making some noise, right? Sure. I will stress this to the audience. We are, we are working on some more balance and structure with this. I say that half tongue in cheek, but to be honest, Jake and I did not share notes about this segment going in. So I preface it to say my two teams would have been Buffalo and San Francisco for the same reasons that you outlined. I think the Jets are for real, not because of the body of work of the team, but because of Aaron Rodgers. I believe it was a a blip on the radar last year. I think the Jets are going to be a fine-tuned machine on offense, and I believe in Robert Sala as a defensive coordinator to the point that they're going to be a thorn in the side for the Bills. There's a If you have the opportunity to, and Eddie and I will check it during the break, or Eddie can check it right now, I would wager to say they're probably co-favorites, if not right there with Buffalo to win the East. That's not like a, it's a trendy pick, sure, but it's very much in the realm of possibility. And then on San Francisco's side of things, the philosophy from Kyle Shanahan from afar is that you could plug in any quarterback in there and their offense is going to run. And I do kind of feel that way, but... Is Brock Purdy really going to have the type of season he had? Totally agree. Again this year, huge risk, right? And if he doesn't, you, Trey, Trey Lance is gone. I don't even like. I don't even know who the backup is in San Francisco right now, and I probably Sam should know Darnold. that. So Sam Darnold's there. Like I, I, I feel like in a league where yes, if you have an elite defense, which the 49ers do. And you they have playmakers for sure yes. offensively, but I, Christian I, McCaffrey, George but Kittle, you are banking Debo on Samuel, an awful lot there, man. There, there yes. is a long, long, long list of quarterbacks that got great opportunities yep. because of rights. And I'm not saying that Brock Purdy didn't play well. I mean, great story. But do we have enough body of work to know that he can do that on a regular basis? The only thing going for when San Francisco, focusing on tape. We don't. The only thing going for San Francisco and why they might, in spite of us making this prediction might still be in the conversation for things is 
they'll be good enough to win their division because I'm I haven't yet to be on the Dallas train in my life. There's nobody in the NFC that's really a threat to them outside of Philadelphia. Maybe Minnesota, if you want to get on that train again. 49ers could sleepwalk their way more than likely to an appearance in an NFC championship game. It still is not enough to get over Philadelphia, though, in my mind, going into the 2023 campaign. the This other category is the one, to me, that I always get the most kick out of because it's kind of random, okay? The teams that you, there is very little expectation that you don't hear anybody talking about them. There's nothing sexy about them. They don't have great history, per se, in the last 10 years. That all of a sudden, around Halloween, you're going to go... Like, I do a, a thing every year. I don't know if you guys do this. Like, a, a, I've got three buddies, and we do annually a pick'em league. A confidence pool. You know what a confidence yes, pool yes, is? Yes, yep. So we do the confidence pool where each week, for those that don't know how it works, I think most do, but... You know, there's 16 games, and so you're like, okay, I'm going to put 16 points on the Chiefs. I'm going to put 15 on, you know, based on how confident you are that they'll win. And then at the end of the year, you know, whoever wins the point total is the season champion, and we go to dinner, and they get the dinner free. We haven't been to the dinner in like seven straight years. (laughs) But um, there's always that team where through like mid-October, when you're doing your confidence pool, you're like, I don't. I don't think these guys are any good, but yet, like they've won five in a row, and I, you know, I don't hear about them. And I maybe they are decent. I don't know really what to make of it. And you're like, okay, they're just they're better than I guess they're actually good. I didn't think they were going to be, but I guess they're good. That team's going to be who? Green Bay. Wow, Eddie, with no hesitation. He's high on the Jordan Love train. I'm not high on the Jordan Love train. I mean, train. Lo- I just more than if, most. A lot of people have pushed back on him is all I'm saying. I think Jordan Love is good, and I think he'll be very comparable in the numbers that Aaron Rodgers put up a season ago with this same group of players. Like, Rodgers wasn't good last year. Nobody, everyone seems to forget that, but they were still able to threaten for the playoffs. I think if you can, if you're Jordan Love, you have a little bit more, more mobility in the pocket to move around. I think they can be a little more creative offensively with him, and I think there's a there's an avenue in which the Packers aren't talked about enough as a team that could actually win that division. That the interesting thing there is the division, Eddie, because I do think Detroit's going to be. I don't know that Detroit's going to be elite, but I think they're going to be pretty good, right? Um, the Bears are kind of a wild card. And the Vikings are the Vikings are this team every year, right? Yeah. The Vikings are the team yeah. every year that you're like, wait a minute, Minnesota's nine and two. They start to have enough sexiness now, though, with that receiving core and Justin Jefferson yeah. carrying the load that there's enough mainstream appeal to them that it doesn't fit the bill as much. Um, Packers is, I mean, I'll put you down for that one. Who's your second, Eddie? Let me get, let me think on the second. All right, Eddie, or uh, excuse me, Jimmy, go ahead. My first is Cleveland. Okay. Big question mark at quarterback with Deshaun Watson. Hadn't played forever, right? Everything that happened on the field with Deshaun Watson last year, I'm buying into as a product of he didn't play football for over a year or 18 months. I think he bounces back. I think that's enough to make them be in the conversation for outside looking in playoff spot, maybe sneaking into the playoffs. In the same way that Green Bay could make a leap, I don't see Cleveland winning the division because I think that Cincinnati is better than they are. I think Baltimore is better than they are. 
So I don't think they could take a leap to division title status, but I do think they could make the playoffs. The other one, and this pains me to do this. It really does. Oh, are you going with the, the Bolts? No, because they're kind of always in the mix. Yeah, they're right? always in the mix, yeah. yeah. I know. I think Denver could sneak in. Okay. There's no... there. It, like, unless he's truly washed, there's no way Russell Wilson is as bad as he was a year ago. Like, it, it he was unfathomably bad to the point I, I, that there's totally TikToks being that. made but, that he had more bathrooms in his house than touchdown passes. Yeah, I mean, it, Jimmy, there's no doubt that it was... I mean... You know, Russell Wilson, people forget. You remember, like, with the Colts, I mean, there was talk of, like, they got to get Russell Wilson, get Russell Wilson, (laughs) get Russell Wilson. And, and I mean, the bottom fell out, though, man. I mean, I'm in agreement with you that that I also like their defense. I I like Pat Sertan. I like like the way the Broncos are built defensively. The only caveat to it, and it's a big one, is they have to play Kansas City and the Chargers twice a year. Yeah. It's not a bad call. Um, I'm going to stay in the same division and say the Raiders. Really? Mm-hmm. I, I, they've been a dumpster fire for sure, and and I actually like Derek Carr, who's I know not there anymore, and it feels like Derek Carr to Jimmy G is probably lateral movement. Aiden O'Connell's actually played well for him. Not that he's going to get reps, but he'd be, you know, making the roster. But they do have some some weapons, and and eventually. Like some adults going to have to take over the room and give them some stability, and I think they have some pieces. Is Josh McDaniels that adult? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> That's a really good question. See, look, this is what in the same way Jaguars fans are doing right now, in the same way Colts fans did at the height of the Manning era. As a Chiefs fan, I'm sitting here and I'm laughing at the ineptness of some of these front offices and coaching staffs, and, and McDaniels is one of those. That's why I can't get like I don't think you're outlandish to say that because when they Let's not forget a year ago, people looked at the AFC West and said, look at Russell Wilson coming into town with Denver. Look at the Raiders going to get Devontae Adams. Look at the Chargers finally taking a leap forward. Kansas City's in trouble. They're going to lose the West. And then that all fell to pieces. This year, all that chatter's died down, I think, almost too far the other way now. So I don't think it's totally outlandish, but yeah, I don't believe in Josh McDaniels. Okay, how about this one? I got my second team, by the way. Uh, Go ahead. Tennessee. I'm not going to laugh at you there. Um, Here's the thing. They add DeAndre Hopkins offensively, and I think the offensive line will be better. I think Ryan Tannehill will do enough as, as a game manager to keep them in games and win games. And you look at the back half of their schedule. It's a cakewalk. Carolina, Indianapolis, Houston twice. You have Seattle mixed in there and Miami mixed in there. But most of their games back half of the season are home. Defensively, they were without one of their best defensive players last year and Harold Landry the third. He's back this year. He's healthy. They still have Jeffrey Simmons. They still have Danico Autry. They added Aziz Al-Shair and their linebacking room. They added Armani Hooker and Sean Murphy Bunting to their secondary, which was their weakest part of their defense last year. And any Mike Vrabel team will be in any game every given Sunday. It's hard to argue that just because of the fact that the division, right? I mean... I, when you have Houston and Indianapolis in four games right there, you should get three of those, right? Right. Depending on when you're getting Indianapolis. I do think the Colts are going to have games they're going to win that are going to surprise people, but they're going to have others that are a complete zero. Uh, my other team, the New Orleans Saints. 
I'm glad you went there. Partially based on division. I'm glad you went there because that's another key to this exercise is looking around at the divisions and see which one is the most wide open. Correct. And I would argue Correct. the NFC South is that. Totally like, agree. Before you said New Orleans, it's kind of like I was being the, Atlanta. the starting center on the Lollipop Guild, admittedly, yeah, but sure, still. Sure. I was thinking Atlanta for that same reason. I mean, a lot of it is more question marks at quarterback, and that's why the Saints are probably the better pick because Carr is far more stable than Desmond Ritter. But you look at Drake London, Kyle Pitts, B. John Robinson in an offense that wants to run the football. It's either Atlanta or New Orleans for the South. The only way it's not one of those teams is if it's a Frank Reich revenge tour and Bryce Young lights the world on fire with basically no weapons around him. By the way, have you ever met a Falcons fan? Yes, Really? Yes. I think Zach Osterman-Osterman from the Indy Star, he's from that area. I think he might be a Falcons fan. That's the only... Li- I, I, who do you know that's a Falcons fan? The family friend and then... Uh, <laughs> but then again, you're a Chiefs fan, which is random, so... It is, but my brother was a Chiefs fan before the Colts moved to town, so I was born into it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, what about Cardinals? You ever met a Cardinals fan? No. I have. For real? Yes. Do you Were remember- they like a 90-year-old guy from St. No. Louis? <laughs> do you remember baritone Corbin Lingenfelter? Yes. He's a Cardinals fan. How did he become a Cardinals fan? I do not recall. I'm going to guess. Here's my wager. I'm going to guess that he, it, to be a Cardinals fan, you would probably have to be. Someone that's seen Larry Fitzgerald highlights? See, that's it. What year was it? I mean, the years all run together. Oh, seven. Like, yeah, when they had the, the miracle, you know, the, the great yeah. run with Kurt Warner and Fitzgerald and that group. And Anquan Bolden. And Anquan Bolden, like if you, so if you were, you know, eight years old in that year, you probably, you know, that would have been a super fun team to watch. Not and they were, I'm sorry, I lied. That was 07 campaign, 08 Super Bowl, I think is yeah, what it was, I right? mean, same difference. Yeah. But, but in my unpopular opinion, I will stand by this until the cows come home. I grew up a Steelers fan. I... My dad was in the steel business. They were on television every week when I was a kid. The Colts were playing in Baltimore. The Colts moved here. You know, I was done with elementary school by the time we had an NFL team here. And the Steelers were the team that I rooted for as a childhood, as my childhood team. Admittedly, years, you know, longer as a, in the professional life than I had as a child, my fandom has been basically eroded because you just you watch things from an objective standpoint when you have the credential on that you just you lose that sensitivity so to say that I'm a Steelers fan is disingenuous but I'm a nostalgic guy so every once in a while when I see the helmet or something like it kind of reawakens in me that little giddiness I had as a kid for seeing the Steelers on television so I didn't necessarily root for like when the Steelers were in the Super Bowl against the Cardinals. I had covered Kurt Warner in St. Louis. I liked him a great deal. So I was I loved the Kurt Warner story. So I was kind of half rooting for you know I had no root, real rooting interest. I guess is what I'm getting. I was fifty fifty. But I will always say this, and I will. I, I, I'm not going to say I'll fight you, but, I'll, but but I might throw a little bit if you tell me I'm wrong on this. Santonio Holmes did not get both feet down on that touchdown catch. His back foot was resting against the cleat of the toe that was touching down to the ground, and the toe of his back foot was touching the back of his cleat and never touched turf before he went out of bounds. That should not have been a touchdown for the Steelers, and the Cardinals actually should have won that Super Bowl. And Steelers Bill, every time that happens, starts to get in his car and drive down Meridian Street to come fight me. (laughs) But I'm just telling you. 
I'll have to go rewatch the play. Also, I was wrong twice. 08 season, 09 Super Bowl. Okay. So, there you go. Well, it went it all, Colts, it all runs together for me, Jimmy, so you ain't going to hear me complain. Giants, Pats, and then Cardinals, Steelers. Uh, James Boyd in 33. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I got really worried during the commercial break there. Not to give people a, a glimpse behind the curtain, but um, five the fan. I'm not gonna lie to you. I got really worried that there was like a rocket ship or something going on. Not to give people a, a glimpse behind the curtain, but um, five the fan. Now what am I hearing now? My bad. I was in a was weird the, echo chamber of deja I was as well. I, I didn't realize that your PC was on over here, so. We were, oh, really? Your YouTube chat was yeah. I didn't oh, know, it was, I it was his know, YouTube feed. I had yeah. to hold now. Hold on. <laughs> we just unearthed the worst possible scenario for you two gentlemen on this program. Oh, no. Eddie has him. just illuminated the fact I'm a that I have the ability to play audio off of my computer. All I have to now, you obviously have to punch it through. Yep. But for the first time, Mark Dykton suddenly now is outed. For two years, <laughs> Mark Dykton told me that there was no way that I could play audio off of my computer. And now, what we know is through this erroneous nature of Eddie, we now know that, in fact, whatever I have on my PC here, I can play and point to you, and you can actually then transmit that audio to the masses of Indianapolis, yes. correct? Well, yes. what do you know? He's still a gatekeeper, though. you got to get through Eddie. He's a tough I, line I get of defense. That. I totally get that. So, but I'm, what I'm, we were, yeah. I thought what we were just hearing from the Echo is the fact that we just launched two missiles and a satellite <laughs> in the studio during a commercial break. What was that? Uh, I don't know. It's the it's cooling vent and yeah. the cooling fan on the Wow, I mean, that computer. thing. What, yeah. what do we have in there? Is that a Gateway 2000? What are we working with? <laughs> is that a CompuServe? What, what do we have over there? Uh, Texas Instruments? I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to figure it out myself. Something from Dell. It's all I, mean, I, I mean, honestly. We may need like, to get NASA down here to look at it. It's like a 96 Texas Instruments computer over there. You're getting ready to play a, a, a game of munch man and 10 yard fight. Uh, I'd like to say hello to everybody on the YouTube chat. I One thing, admittedly, that I tr- I'm trying to do more of that I'm still getting used to is, and I've only been working here for a couple of years now, is the YouTube chat. And I greatly appreciate those that watch the show on YouTube. Again, 107.5 The Fan is the YouTube page, and you can watch all of the shows over the course of the day. If I may, um, for the Heath YouTube Griff, chat. always Matthew. Appreciate everybody. If I may, for the YouTube chat, um, one writes in, does anybody else have stream issues today? Jake just repeated himself three times on this re-entry because of buffering. Uh, I also had that out-of-body experience as well. Uh, again, that was just the realization that Jake can now play audio from his computer. You are not having a stroke. You're fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, that's right. Um, and my face looks fat on the YouTube chat. That that bothers me. Do I need to lose weight? Is that why you stand up? <laughs> I, you know what? I stand up because my. Do you actually? If I sit long enough, my lower back locks up. Okay, I don't want that. That's why I stand. But I do think that I'm I'm gaining weight. I, I'm very self conscious about this. It's probably those shrimp chips. <laughs> you know what, Eddie? You, you mentioned that. And one more crack about the shrimp chips, and guess what? I'm not going to bring you back any of them from San Francisco or Meyer at 54th and Keystone, <laughs> where they're where they're both available. Right? That we know. I mean, I'm just saying. Um, We talked about this a little bit yesterday, but the AP in college football top 25. Colorado breaks in. Duke is in now as well. Notre Dame slots where, Jimmy? 10th, I believe. So, for Notre Dame... Yes, 10th. Do you agree that, that Notre Dame... I mean, it's very early... Can Notre Dame get into the playoff if they lose one of their three bigs? Yes. Do they have to sweep? 
No, that would be nice, but no, I don't believe they have to sweep. Do you think they run the table other than the three? And I don't know now that you would say, like I said, Clemson is not, Clemson in name is a big deal, right? But Clemson is definitely down this year. Um, But USC and Ohio State, one would think if they, what, do they sweep outside of that? Do they take care of business this weekend? Yes, I believe they take care of business against NC State. Okay. And then you're simulating two weeks to Ohio State. You know, they got... Where do they play Duke? I think that's at home. Because, you know, Duke's quarterback reminds me a little bit... On the road. Playing Duke's quarterback reminded me a little bit of playing... uh, of seeing Notre Dame's quarterback when he was at Wake. Like a guy that is gutsy and sure. gritty enough yeah. that he kind of keeps you around and keeps you in games. Yes. And then you add in the terrible lighting there as well. At uh, <laughs> let, let me tell you Duke. something. <laughs> did, did you watch that game between Duke and Clemson? What I was did. with the camera angle? I have no idea. That was awful. Was so, so it wasn't just me, right? Game. No, it wasn't just you. No. But the camera angle itself, very distracting throughout. I would agree. I mean, it was literally, they were like, hey, let's just mount a camera... <laughs> On the top row of like, do you remember in the in the early two thousands, late nineties, maybe it was more like mid nineties, when everybody, every athlete at the NBA All Star Game, they all had the handheld camcorder that the little tape went yes, into, yes, and the little swivel screen. They, they always show like Shaq just in the Correct. baseline with that. They, yes. they bought yeah. one of those off eBay, <laughs> posted it in the top corner of the stadium, and they're like, "There's your camera angle." It was terrible, absolutely terrible. Uh, Florida State, by the way, that's the one. That was the highlight of the weekend, both from a betting perspective and from just a blow-the-doors-off-somebody perspective outside of Colorado because, again, that's, that's going to be the top story. They were 20-point dogs, went into TCU, national finalist, and, and ended up outlasting them. But the way Florida State was able to just totally take over that second half was, was, was very eye-opening to me. This is what really bothers me. Okay. About that matchup or college football at large? No, well, little of both. For whatever reason, when I was a kid, I always kind of liked LSU. Okay. In both sports. Um, I mean, it was cool when Bob Knight threw an LSU fan in the trash can in the 81 Final Four. And that was cool. Indiana blew their doors off. That was even more awesome. And then they beat him again in 87 in Cincinnati on Ricky Calloway's follow-up. 77-76, by the way, after. And then Jose Vargas missed a jumper that would have – not that I have watched it, but a few times. <laughs> um, but I always kind of liked LSU. And I liked their helmets. I liked the, the, the night atmosphere of Baton Rouge. And then I went down to LSU. Not for a game, but I drove to Baton – or I flew to Baton Rouge – a year ago, my buddy Mike Byron and I do a road trip every year where we fly to a random city, rent a car, and drive home. And last year, we picked Baton Rouge. And we drove through the LSU campus. I've mentioned this before. And, and neither one of you guys have been to Baton Rouge, right? I'm just assuming because why would I've you not, go to Baton Rouge? I've not been to Baton Rouge. LSU, the campus, I was. it is stunning. I, I mean, it is beautiful. The stadium is cool. The people are as nice as can be. The campus is gorgeous. And I've just always kind of liked them. And then they go and hire Brian Kelly. I knew, but I, I agree with you, by the way, but I knew that was going to be the shoe that was going to drop there. They're unlikable now. There's an extent totally. of that. And, and people will point to me 
and they have since he got hired there and say, well, it's sour grape. Here's Maddie left Notre Dame. No, I really didn't like rooting for him when he was at Notre Dame even. Even really? the trips to the playoffs, there were just a sense of... I don't know, the way you would often place blame at players, just it, his overall demeanor. Right. Like it just, yes, it was a accepted loss of the whole feeling of rooting for Notre Dame was, well, hey, at least they're competitive. He definitely restored them to national prominence. Like I, I'm not going to sit here and say he that he did not do those things because they were at their darkest place in the program post-Charlie Weiss, and he brought them back from the ashes. Like I'm grateful for that. But towards the end, it was clear Notre Dame was content with him being the, taking them to where they were, which was occasional college football playoff appearance and getting blown out by 40, and they were never going to let I mean, him go. I mean, there's no denying the guy can coach. Yes. But at this point, I have to admit, it's like, why would you go play for him? You know what I mean? Like, he, he just... Make a cool and, music and I, video. What's that? Make a cool music video. Yeah. On a 360 cam. <laughs> well, and to be part of the family. But... He has such a demeanor about him, and I get it. You know, look, certain players need and want discipline. Certain players need and want accountability. I get that, and and but I think you can get that, and and have coaches that are stern disciplinarians that 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 ask the most out of you, but yet still treat you like Saban is a good example. Uh, Nick Saban, you know, one thing I'll say, Jimmy, about Alabama. 99.999% of the time, and I get as tired of anybody as watching Alabama win national championships and, and compete and be, you know, whatever else. And Saban has his moments. And I'm not saying this isn't the case with LSU, but but I will say for Alabama, more often than not, when they win championships and I watch interviews, after the, the player is interviewed, I say to myself, that's a really likable young player. Man, what a what a respectful guy! What what a what a fun loving personality! What a, what a you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm more often than not impressed by the way players from Alabama conduct themselves, and that's a credit to Nick Saban. I when I went to the Clemson Alabama national championship game in Tampa, the Hunter Renfro catch where Deshaun Watson to Hunter Renfro, where Clemson defeated Alabama, the I mean, the fa- the stadium was literally half maroon, half orange, right? And the year before, Alabama had eliminated Clemson in the semifinals, so there was kind of this growing rivalry. Obviously, there are two schools that are competing in this at that time, maybe not now, at that in the same recruiting circles. And Clemson wins, and we're in the tailgate lots across from the stadium. And I mean, I'm not kidding you when I say the vast majority of Alabama fans as they were leaving and had to go through the parking area of Clemson fans were like stopping high five and like, you know, Hey, congratulations. Great game. We'll get you guys next year. And it was just, they were super cool and, and respectful people. I'm not saying that's because of Nick Saban and I'm not saying LSU doesn't have that, right. but like Brian Kelly, just in general exudes such an arrogant demeanor. about it, it, it's, it's an arrogant pompous demeanor. It's it's present on the sidelines. It's present in post game press conferences after losses. I mean, like, look, I'm I get it, and this is this isn't by the way. This is not just Notre Dame thing. You look at every stop that he's been, and the way that he's left each school. Cincinnati, Notre Dame. Now he's here at LSU, and and, and that's probably the final stop. I mean, I, I get it. It's an SEC power. 
I understand why it's an attractive job, but there's just this self-centered aspect of him that he portrays that has always made him at best unlikable, at worst maddeningly frustrating. Yeah, very seldomly, admittedly, very seldomly does he accept accountability, right? Yes. Now, did you see the auditions for uh, the Manning cast, the, the, the spot they came <laughs> I out did. with? I did. I watched the whole seven-minute clip. Okay. In that, I, I, I'm confused by this. Okay. So for those that are unfamiliar, the Manning cast, Peyton and Eli Manning came out with a, a bit where they're interviewing different people to be the third host, if you will. Okay. And it made me think of Brian Kelly because Mike Tyson was one of them and says, I'm here because you guys both have punchable faces, which was pretty funny, right? <laughs> yes. A lot of good one-liners in the whole skit. Yeah. Um, and they they had an elaborate one. They you know they used McAfee, they used Stephen A. Smith, they used Reese Witherspoon, a number of different people. But at the end, it shows Tom Brady sitting there after everybody else's audition, and he's sitting with his dog, and he's like, "So are you waiting here also?" And he's like, "Yeah." And then he makes a phone call, and he's like, "I, I they haven't called me into the room yet. <laughs> I guess I'll go back to play football." Now, do you want to know what an idiot I am? <laughs> you started looking at which team had signed him? No. You're going to laugh when I say this. Okay. Was that a tease that actually Brady is the one they're using? <laughs> no, I don't think so. No. Didn't he sign a deal with Fox? Did that go away? Well, yeah, he, did I miss he, that? He did, but I, has he done games yet? No. You're right. I think. Well, I, that's the thing, though. If he signed a huge contract with Fox, like I guess Omaha Productions is an independent company. Right. So he doesn't... It's not like he's violating and going on ESPN based on that. By Although the way, McAfee was on there too, and he, well, McAfee's yeah. ESPN though. By the way, and this is a prevailing thought amongst the comments section, but I'm right there with most people. It was the closest thing to those behind the scenes Sports Center ads from the 2000s that always got like great reviews right. from people. Of like, oh, that's really funny how they did that. Like they have the New Jersey Devil in the elevator, and he has to going up and he's pointing down, and then he. Runs all like those whole skits. John Clayton. Yes, thank you. Always made people chuckle. That was this was the closest ESPN ad since that time frame that made me laugh the same way. Here's the thing about professional athletes or actors or musicians or whatever. The most famous person in the room is always the funniest. You get fifteen people at a New Year's gathering, and one of them is like, "Oh, by the way, did you hear?" Uh, Andy that's having the party his college roommate is actually dating um I, I mean let's what his, his what Kevin his, Hart Kevin Hart well, well yeah like his his you know what so Kevin Hart's gonna be there right sure. Kevin Hart's gonna be at the party his significant other yeah right sure so okay. Kevin Hart shows up at the party and and says like man these pretzels are making me thirsty and everybody goes <laughs> that's a Kevin Hart so funny that's great and and uh, Calvin Johnson, Megatron, shows up at the party and says and does a one-liner and everybody laughs. It's the funniest thing they've ever heard. There's a natural tendency for people when like fame does this weird thing where people feel like they have to defer to everything that person says and like hang on it and basically validate why that person's famous. And it, as a result, makes things that aren't really aren't very funny. People act like they're the, the funniest thing they've ever seen. The true gift of Peyton and Eli Manning is the fact that 
they have an ability to be funny based entirely and 100% rooted in the perception that they're not trying to be. Right. And they naturally are funny. A, a deadpan feel about it. A deadpan yes. is the best way to say it. And I think, truthfully, Eli Manning is actually the more gifted of the two of them in that ability. Peyton Manning has, no doubt about it, a very quick wit and always has. But And he, and he has an unbelievable just mind in general but Eli Manning you know Eli Manning always kind of had this look of like he was the the kind of super awkward kid that like didn't you know like didn't was just totally uncomfortable and and was wearing shoes that didn't fit right and you know whatever else you you stand him next to Peyton or you see photos of the two of them next to each other and and you get that they're related but it's like they those play the same position both those guys correct yes and so Eli Manning's ability to be the one guy that can get away with saying whatever the hell he wants to Peyton Manning with zero consequence <laughs> is what makes it work. Right. You know what I mean? And I'm Manning was so his mind is so different. You know, when Peyton Manning was here and was playing for the Colts, there were certain things that he did that like you just knew automatically made him different. I'll tell you what that is on the other side, and then James Boyd Boyd joins us at the top of the hour. So years ago, when I worked in television here, I worked at Channel 6, Jimmy, and um, I was off one day, and my buddy Paul Pistol, who is a fabulous freelance television producer and works for several different networks, uh, calls me one day and goes, hey, are you off? Like on Wednesday was Colts media availability. Are you off on Wednesday? And I said, I am actually. And he goes, listen, I need some help here. Can you help me uh, uh, get some sound? Do it, you know, go to the locker room. You know the deal. The player stands at his locker. We've all seen it on television. And, you know, they do their weekly media gathering. And I said, yeah, sure. And he was doing it for NFL Network, and he just needed me to go and help and hold the microphone and ask questions so that he could send audio to NFL Network. So I do it that day. And so I'm holding the NFL Network microphone. Peyton Manning's in the middle of his – you know his locker room gathering sure and he's talking about you know jacksonville or whatever well you know i mean you know henderson and those guys you know they're always getting up there in your face and in the middle of talking he literally stops in this scrum and looks at me and goes uh, by, by the way Jake, did you get a new job or, or like are you still channel six <laughs> and i'm like wait what like how does he know right so i uh, okay so then flash forward to the end of that season I'm off again on a Wednesday. Regent Brian is going to go ballistic to know that I was off two days of media availability, but that was my my scheduled days off were Tuesday and Wednesday. So I was off on a Wednesday, and there was rumor that Manning was going to be named that week as the MVP. Like we didn't know what day, but you know he was going to win MVP. So I'm in Cafe Patichu, like the only person in there in the afternoon, and in walks Manning with his wife and his parents. And literally, we're like the only people in there. So he sees me, and I mean, it, it, not like I was friends with him, but I was covering the Colts, you know, every week, right? right. So he he sees me and he goes, uh, uh, "Hey, Jake, how, how you doing?" And I said, "Oh, by the way, I, I, you know, I'm just now getting out and about. Like, did you get the award today?" And he says, uh, "Yeah, I mean, we, we just got done with the deal over there. Uh, Otis was there from from your guy's station, who was the photographer." 
And I'm like, how does he know that Otis Jones is the photographer that works with me of, amongst all, right? So I finally went to the Colts media people and said, how did he put these two things together? I'm one of 20 different people regularly covering the Colts. And they said, oh, he has a notebook. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, when he got when Peyton Manning got here, he requested from the Colts PR staff a notebook that had the headshot, description, and name and media outlet of every person who regularly covered the Indianapolis Colts, and he studied it so that he knew who everybody was, could reference them by name, and also that then spot that that then transitioned into him then asking the same for all of the videographers and still photographers that were covering the team. Now that that's is, awesome. That is a level of different, and that's why like the Manning cast works because he is prepared. Right, he is constantly prepared, and we were prepared to have James Boyd on, and so he is going to do that next. Final hour for Queer and Company. On a Wednesday in full effect from the drivehuber.com studios. Shifting our attention back to the Colts with one of our favorites. Covers the Colts for The Athletic. It's James Boyd. You can follow him on Twitter at Romeoville Kid. James, how goes it? It goes well, I must say. Excited for week one, baby. Let's do it. I'm right there with you. Countdown is on. Were you a part of the scrum earlier or the, uh, I don't know if it was a web chat or if it was a actual media scrum with Doug Peterson that uh, I know Mike Chappell was involved in. You have an opportunity to pen the mind of the Jags coach yet? No, I did not bother to get on that because the only story that matters here is Anthony (laughs) Richardson and peripherally JT. Well, the one thing you did have commentary on on Twitter, a part of that other scrum, is where Shaq Leonard is and appears the latest on that front progressing well but still in concussion protocol, right? Yeah, not ideal, obviously. We'll get some formal answer here soon in the next coming days, but the fact that EJ Speed is out of the protocol and that Shaq is still in it is not you know, good for his status going forward. So we'll see. He's been in the locker room. He's been very vocal, and it seems like he's you know, moving and operating normally, but obviously there's a lot more that goes into you know, your health when it comes to a brain injury. James, I have a question about this. You're not going to know the, the, the answer, definitively this will make sense what i'm saying so my question is not necessarily my question is has this been brought up do you think and that is this i've said this before though when you look at practice and training camp players where and i say this because of concussion protocol and the frequency in which we see players end up in concussion protocol but in practice and in training camp in particular they wear the extra padding on top of the helmet okay and that extra padding is apparently to again limit even more so the possibility of a concussion or any sort of a head injury if this is a league that screams from the mountaintops it's prioritized health and safety of its players from a neurological standpoint then why are they not wearing those in games because they don't look cool and that's got to be it right and you can't put the logo on them and i mean i'm assuming you probably could if you had to right I think that's seriously my real answer. I think that they just don't look aesthetically pleasing. They don't look tough. They don't look like traditional football uniforms because I wholeheartedly agree that if they're going to help you with your brain and your health and your safety, then why not do it? If you're saying the game is going to be safer, that's the easiest reason to do it. That's why you do it during the preseason and during those training camp practices. So I don't understand why what I call a mushroom top aren't used during games. But again, I think it's all got to do with how cool you look. To your knowledge, has there been any like player or coach that has ever brought that up or inquired about 
you know, like John Olerud in baseball used to wear a batting helmet in the outfield as a fielder because he, you know, he had a, he had petitioned or whatever to be able to do so because of he had concussion issues. Has there ever been a player that has said, "Hey, I'd like to wear these during games"? To your knowledge, I do not know. Not to my knowledge, I know that hasn't happened here with the Colts. There hasn't been a lot of conversation about it. It feels like one of those things you just do. It's like a routine. You wear it at this you know time of the year for however long, and then after that. You never see them again because you don't even see those types of helmets throughout the regular season practices, to my knowledge. James Boyd is our guest. He is with The Athletic. He's on the guest line here. It's Quarrying Company on 93.5-1075, The Fan. James, you've been around Anthony Richardson since basically the draft to the time now. And uh, now's when it gets real. And now's when the curtain is really pulled back and he is getting ready to walk into the fire and the asbestos suit is off. Does his mindset appear to you in any way, shape, or form to be any different this week than weeks past? Not really. He is, as Chris Ballard said, a cool customer. The guy is very confident, very humble, and it just seems like he's ready to play. And he always mentions in all of his interviews to remember to have fun, too. So it's almost refreshing to hear someone talk about how much fun they want to have playing the game because you get to this level, you have much pressure in that spotlight. Sometimes you don't hear that a lot from players. You just actually have fun when you're playing a game. And he seems to be very focused on that and obviously playing well. James, where do things stand on the Zach Moss front? They stand pretty good. I mean, he was practicing today. He did not say definitively last week if he had been practicing before. So we kind of knew he'd probably be out there today because he was coy about his status. I asked him point blank last week, hey, are you going to play this week? Um, or earlier this week, I'm sorry. And he was like, um, you know, I can't get into that, you know, no comment and kind of, you know, smile. So we'll see if he'll play. But my guess is that he will play. He will be available. It's just, you know, how much he's going to be available. James Boyd is our guest. James, um, if you're Shane Steichen, the thing, we know that this year is all about Anthony Richardson, right? I mean, they, they can say, you know, hey, this it's all about Anthony, everything. Is it all about Anthony Richardson? The area for the Jacksonville Jaguars that most worries Shane Steichen in terms of making sure that Anthony Richardson gets through, I don't mean physically okay, but, you know, mentally okay and does not get rattled would be what? Probably whatever looks they throw at him in the defensive secondary. I know a lot of the stuff is in vanilla, a lot of these defenses, but I expect them to really test him. They know that he's you know, going to give them uh, the coast that is an advantage with his dual threat capability. But the way you take that advantage away sometimes is to throw different looks at him and force him to be that po- that pocket passer and someone who can really read a defense. So we don't know if he can do it at a very high level just yet. Now, I think he's taking strides in that direction. But, again, I, you know, I think that the Jacksonville is going to have a kick out of really showing him stuff that he's never seen before. James, I want to go – off the field for a second you have an opportunity as you often do when balancing time between beat reporter and also feature reporter for the athletic and the Colts division you had a chance over the weekend to go hang out with Dallas Flowers and and see his jersey retirement at the high school level what was that process like that was a crazy process because I left you at three o'clock and uh jumped on the expressway and it was a you know four-hour drive because of the traffic and I got there right when everything was jumping off. And it was awesome, man, to seeing so many of Dallas' childhood friends show up and his parents and his old teachers and just seeing how much those kids really appreciated having someone who's been in their shoes. 
make it to the highest level. So I caught up with a bunch of his, you know, friends and, um, you know, former coach. And it was really good to kind of hear their perspective on his unique path to this part. And so um, it's been cool. And I do think that he, he still thinks that if he got the right opportunities, he would have gone to the NBA. But I'm not uh, so sure that he's mad about being in the NFL because obviously that was a good uh, second option. James, what player not named Anthony Richardson is it most important for the Colts to have a step forward breakout year? Step forward breakout year other than Anthony Richardson? I would say Alec Pierce. I think that if they are confident in him and he makes a really big jump and he can prove that he's a true wide receiver two in this league, then that would help them tremendously, I think, because um, they don't have a lot of skill position threats right now and I think that Michael Pittman Jr. is what he is he's pretty consistent but Alex did not have a great preseason and they need him to take a step forward so that they can feel comfortable about their future in that room. James the talk around Jacksonville during the offseason the, the biggest story of course has been Calvin Ridley finally being available for them that you know years-long trade of acquiring him and the suspension that he served out but the other aspect of it is no Cam Robinson for the first four games Walker Little will line up in theory as their starting left tackle another name that I think he's been too long in the league for it to be a breakout year, but to finally live up to what has been his billing or projected billing the last couple of years is Quiddy Pay and the other names along this defensive line. But let's stick with Pay's side of things, assuming he gets that matchup more often than not against Little. How important is it for him to get the ground running and, and finally have the type of season that Bauer has envisioned him having for the last three or four years? To your point, Jimmy, I thought that he was on track to have the season last year until he got hurt, right. like a fluke ankle injury. But like you said, I mean, injuries are not an excuse in this league, quite frankly. They don't really help you or help your case when people evaluate your career. They're going to say what you did, not what you could have done. And so I do think that this is a huge year for him. And the key and the reason why it's only a huge year for him and it's bigger for the defense is that their defensive secondary is so unproven and so inexperienced that you want Quiddy wreaking havoc. You want him chasing down the quarterback. You want him making that life harder because if he isn't giving you that impact and the defensive secondary is very inexperienced and doesn't have sort of that um, lockdown ability, then it creates a whole different set of problems for you if other quarterbacks consistently feel comfortable with picking your defense apart. So I think that it's huge that he has a big season and, again, flashes and shows why he is someone who's going to be here for the long haul. James, which do you think is more realistic or possible? You know, I think we know that Jacksonville is the favorite in the AFC South. And Tennessee is kind of a curveball because of their quarterback position and and how much Tannehill has left in the tank, how much Hopkins helps. Which do you think is a more likely situation? That Indianapolis or Houston has more solidarity than we anticipated and thus is is pretty competitive or that Tennessee regresses? I think Tennessee regresses. I just don't see how, you know, the Indianapolis and Houston, they're going to be what they are, which I don't think they're going to be a very good team. But I think with Tennessee, the right is kind of on the wall. Derek Henry's probably going to have another great year, but it just feels like the end of last season for them, the way they collapsed, is sort of going to be indicative of their season coming up because they didn't do anything in the offseason. To me, you know, I believe they added, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, but that doesn't change the dynamic of their team enough for me to say they're going to be right back in the thick of things. I don't really think that at all. I think that they've taken a step back and that era of Tennessee football is sort of ending. James, I, James Boyd with us covers the Colts for The Athletic. James, 
does this feel this is a weird question, but does this feel like the debut of a future franchise quarterback? I know it's only Wednesday, but there's so much different aspects of turmoil about this team that it's easy to get lost in the fact that Anthony Richardson's finally making his NFL debut here in a couple days. It does feel like that, and it feels like they want it to be that, right? You want to make sure that, you know, him being the seventh different starting week one quarterback that you've had in seven years, that streak ends. You know, this losing streak you've been on, or winless streak, rather, where you haven't won an opener since 2013, you want that to end as well. So it feels like he has a great opportunity in front of him to, you know, wow some people and really take the reins and establish himself as that guy. Now, he might not do it all in week one. He could come out here and struggle. But it does feel like a new era, and it does feel like the, the guys are really rallying behind him. We talked to the Forrest Buckner today, Sire Franklin, and other team leaders, and they're all really high on the 21-year-old from Gainesville, Florida, who could become that next great quarterback here in Indianapolis. James, higher number. The number of designed carries that Anthony Richardson gets on Sunday or the combined total between the top two running backs for the Colts and their their combined carries? I would say the latter. I do think that they're you know going to use Anthony Richardson a lot in, in some of those design runs and zone reads and things like that. However, um, I expect it to be sort of a committee, and the reason why I think the number will be higher, at least when you gave me that scenario, is because it'll be a committee. It'll be spread out across you know Zach Moss, Evan Hall, and Deion Jackson. And you know again, you're trying to alleviate some of that pressure on Anthony Richardson. And I don't think it's going to be a pass-heavy offense like that anyways. They're going to take their shots downfield, of course, and, and try to have some more big plays. But I think this is going to be a very run-heavy offense. And to have that and keep your quarterback safe, you better be handing it off to a running back a lot more than you're handing it off to him. Could it become dangerous for Anthony Richardson's development for them to design too many plays for him and get him comfortable with that, thus causing him to – on past design plays, get out of the pocket and begin running earlier than he should while going through his reads? I think that's fair. I think that could be sort of a symptom of building an offense like that. But that's why I think you need reps. He's got to play. He's got to get out there. And then after you experience it, then you're able to kind of gauge and pick and choose your spots a lot better. Because right now, everything he's doing is in a controlled environment for the most part. He had a couple of preseason games. But again, those defenses were vanilla. So now they're going to face a real defense. and teams are really trying to confuse you or force you into what they want to do I think he'll have to find that balance between you know giving into certain things as a player and also making sure he stays true to what their offense is designed to do so when there's a passing play if there's a lane sure run but don't just resort to that just because you can because as we've seen you can throw it a lot farther in a lane a lot less time than you can do running it so you know if you can throw it for 10 yards instead of running it I, I would expect them to choose throwing it James, it's very tough for rookie wide receivers to light the world on fire or take the league by storm just because of the, the pace and just the difference of the leap forward between the college level and the NFL. I don't want to put too much pressure on him, but it is noteworthy that Josh Downs gets the wide receiver three knot, as you pointed out on Twitter yesterday from the unofficial depth chart over Isaiah McKenzie. Where should expectations be on the rookie wideout, knowing the connection that's been hyped up this offseason that him and Anthony Richardson already have? Where should expectations be for him this year? I think they should be moderately high. I think that he is someone who the only knock on him was his size. Other than that, he was a gem as far as draft prospects because of, you know, the numbers he put up in college, how he put them up, the physicality that he plays, he plays bigger than his body. So all those things, I think, 
really help him um, step into the NFL and kind of transition easier, I think, than even Anthony Richardson and some other guys on this team. So I would say keep your expectations high on him. I also think that his volume is going to be higher than most receivers because he's that different feel in that, that, that room for them. He gives them that in-between game, that check-down game, that, okay, line him up against the linebacker, he's going to beat him type of game and chain mover type of uh, person. So I think that that is a reason why you should be high on him. And to me, it comes down to if Anthony um, can be accurate and consistent in delivering the ball on time to him. He's going to get open. James, what should realistically people expect on Sunday? Mm, let me say this without making anybody mad. Um, a lot of wild plays, I would say, from Anthony Richardson, or at least a good handful. You know, and also expect them to struggle. And, and I mean, it would be great, obviously, for the team to start off with a win, but I don't see that happening because I think that Jacksonville took a step forward last year. They're not going to just um, regress like that. And they've added Calvin Ridley on top of that. So I expect Jacksonville to make it difficult. But the key, and then you're asking me what, what to expect, expect some big plays from Anthony Richardson, some mistakes from him as well. And overall, just, you know, if he gets through that game healthy, that, to me, is like the, uh, the equivalent of a win. Get to the game healthy, win, lose, or draw, and um, if he's showing you something, you can be happy with that. From the standpoint of speed, from the standpoint of aggressiveness, from the standpoint of game planning for a situation, etc., the defenses that Anthony Richardson has seen in preseason action is what percent the challenge of defenses that he sees now starting on Sunday? Yeah. Uh. Ten percent. I don't think it's. I think they were really basic in the preseason, and he's going to face a lot tougher schemes and designs. And one thing that is the benefit of playing in those preseason games is that the speed of the game is probably going to be the same, maybe a tick faster because you're playing against all ones. But that's probably the, the the best thing for him is that he got out there, saw the game speed at the NFL level, and it can develop from there. But I wouldn't expect it to be very much that he can use from those preseason games to say, "Oh, I saw this before." Like, no. No team is going to show you what they're going to do to you or anybody else in the preseason, or at least what their like calling cards are going to be. So again, I expect them to be confused on some plays. Quite honestly, like you can prepare him for a lot of scenarios, but you can't prepare him for what something um, another team is going to do. And so you can't predict the future. And for that reason, I think that he's going to um, have his struggles. But also because he's so talented and he is a hard worker and he is a quick learner, he's going to have those moments where you look up and you're like, okay, that's why he went top five in the draft. But I guess at the same time, like for Jacksonville, if you're game planning against Indianapolis, you know, in terms of like a stunt you're going to do or some sort of a different package you're going to do, it's not like they really know either what they're going up against, right? I mean, there's not a lot of tape out on this guy other than in the preseason where Indianapolis kept it pretty vanilla. So is that advantage schematically Indianapolis or Jacksonville? I do think that's an advantage for Indianapolis. Anytime you have the like the mystery factor and you don't know – what he's going to be at this level that helps you to a certain extent. However, people still know his strength, and his strength is you know a lot of that read pass option. I mean, a run pass option or zone reads and using his legs. And so, I expect defenses not only just Jacksonville, but teams later on in the season to try to force him to be you know a a pocket precision passer, which he hasn't proven to be. Now he's good in the pocket, doesn't get panned, doesn't get rattled, but every now and then those throws aren't as accurate as they need to be. And so, if you're another team, you're probably thinking. Let's make sure he stays uncomfortable and he, we don't let him use his legs to feel comfortable, which is easier said than done because there's going to be times where the defense is just right. But, you know, Anthony Richardson is what I call writer because he's much more talented. And it's one of those situations where it's just my guy is better than your guy. 
and athletically he'll be able to get you some jam that other people probably can't. James Boyd with us covers the Colts for the Athletic. James, we were talking earlier in the program about where Jacksonville sits right now. If they were to look around at the rest of the AFC South, it has the feels of the Colts with Manning at the height of their powers when they looked around the rest of the South and were like, okay, one of the playoffs, like let's get rolling, let's keep this train moving, and let's get to the postseason. When you look at Jacksonville, I know you hinted on it earlier that you don't see much regression from them, but is the state of the AFC South closer to, say, the NFC West, where the 49ers are probably your clear-cut team? I know the Seahawks made noise last year, but 49ers probably your clear-cut division winner. Or are they closer to where they were a year or two ago where it's more like the NFC South, where it's still anybody's game despite the fact that maybe one team looks flashier than the rest? I think Jacksonville is a cut above the rest of the teams in this division. Because like I told you, I think that Tennessee is going to regress. I think that Houston and Indianapolis are sort of in the same spots where you're rebuilding, retooling with a young quarterback, and there's going to be some drawing pains there. So they're the only team that I feel like has a true identity of what they're going to look like going forward for years to come. And it starts with their quarterback. I think that Trevor Lawrence is probably somewhere in that six to eight range as far as top quarterbacks in the league. I know he's top ten for sure. And so can he take another step forward this year? And if he does, it's his division to lose at that point, in my in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, they got him another weapon, right? And so I think they're off – you know, James, Travis Etienne's pretty darn good, too, and I know it's not a running back-friendly league, per se, but that's a security blanket for Trevor Lawrence that is familiarity for him. And I just think that that as you're about to see with the Colts, making a young quarterback comfortable is such an important part, and not having him have Urban Meyer as a rookie is such an important part of developing a young quarterback. Um, I, I got a question for you. I, I'm not a fan of them, per se, but I guess I have to have some allegiance. I, I went to Kansas when I was a freshman in college, and I actually went to a couple of football games there. I saw Tony Sands rush for 396 yards in a game. Kansas is playing, I think, Illinois on, on Friday night, which is like totally weird, but fitting because they're both basically high school caliber teams. Do you want to place a wager on the Illinois-Kansas game, James? James is just finding out about this Illinois-Kansas right. matchup as we speak, by the way. Uh, it's at Kansas. I had no it's, idea they were playing. Yeah, it's, um, it's the fighting Illini who eked out a win over Toledo are taking on the fighting Jayhawks. This is a Friday night kick uh, in the always, always intimidating Kansas Memorial Stadium <laughs> in front of 14,000 people that are actually camping out for basketball seats. Uh, this is a 7.30 kick in Kansas. I don't even know what to wager because I have no idea who's on Illinois. I just know they won, and I was tweeting out, oh, they won because IU lost. I thought that was my little dig at IU fans, but um, I have no idea what to expect. Just can't help yourself. Kansas Kansas is coming off a dominating 48-17 win over Missouri State, so don't get too intimidated by (laughs) by the Jayhawks. Also, can we talk about how almost every football stadium in America is like Memorial Stadium, just somewhere else? Correct. Like, because Illinois is also Memorial Stadium. Well, Illinois and Indiana also Assembly Halls, right? Yep. Yeah, it's like I mean, Illinois just changed it a couple of years ago, but it, I feel like they just steal each other's names. Maybe I don't know. It's weird, but I'll, I'll say Illinois is going to win just because uh, why not? But I mean, I don't. I have no desire to watch that game at all. <laughs> yeah, um, hey, it's Penn State the week after that. For the Illini, you keep telling me yeah. the schedule like it's going to make me watch them. Like, no. I mean, I, I thought maybe Penn State that. might draw your eye. Well, I don't know. No, I will catch the last maybe two minutes to see if, if it's close. If it ain't close, I'm not even bothering to watch it. I saw the Toledo game just because it was on TV, and I was like, oh, okay, like, 
was kind of close, but were you captivated, then, man? I was not captivated. <laughs> I was free of uh, having to work. So but you went the starts for the Colts. I will ditch all of my Illinois allegiance to focus in on the season. You went to <laughs> Illinois, correct? I did. Okay. In the four years that you were at the University of Illinois, you went to how many football games in person? As a fan, I went to maybe two. And then did you the cover them like for the student newspaper? It. Yep, student newspaper and for the Associated Press. And fun fact, my senior year when I covered them for the Associated Press, I had to cover it from the winning team's angle. So I never saw the inside of Illinois' locker room after a game because <laughs> wow. I was going to the visitors. Yeah, that's impressive. Every single game I covered. I covered JT when he was coming uh, to, to Illinois, I believe. So a uh, full circle moment, I guess. Okay, fair enough. Uh, James Boyd, The Athletic. Again, it's Illinois and Kansas Friday night. Nobody cares. It's India, uh, Indianapolis and Jacksonville <laughs> on Sunday. That's the game that he will be covering. And if you are going to be James, in the, if you're covering it from the winning side, then you're telling us that the odds are high that you'll be interviewing Trevor Lawrence, right? Pretty much, yeah. I think that that would be the case. Yep. But I'm not doing AP anymore, so I will see the inside of Illinois. Not, not Illinois, Indiana's, uh, Indianapolis's locker room. So I'm excited for it, though. I do think that they have a chance to win. It's not that it's going in. It's like, oh, my gosh, you're going to lose by 30. Here, here's the thing, be, James. Uh, a relatively close game. Listen, but. for the first time in three years, the Colts won't be boring. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, they may not be, have a great win-loss record this year, but they are not going to be boring. And in the past, they were the worst thing you can be in the NFL, which was boring and bad. And to me, I think that them matching up against the Jacksonville in week one is, is a lot more enticing, obviously, than last year's Houston. Because you can really gauge where they're at, I think, after that first game. Because Jacksonville's a good team. And so, for me, you know, last year with Houston, it was kind of like, what is this? What do we? What do you make of this? But I do think, I think one against Jacksonville will probably be, you know, more or less what they're going to do this season, which, I to me, is going to be up and down. I have them at 5-12. and 12, You know, maybe 7 wins if, if things go really well. But I don't see anything beyond that. James, thank you for making time for us. Enjoy the opener. And I will say this. I'm glad that even though you don't have time to watch Illinois, you still have time to rile up IU fans on Twitter. So I'm glad glad you still saved time oh, I for that. I got to do it. I got to do it, man. <laughs> you know, everyone's telling me it was Ohio State. Don't care. It's a loss. You know, we're, we're undefeated. Bring on Georgia. Hey, good teams win. Great teams cover, baby. That's James Boyd of The <laughs> Athletic. Enjoy it. We'll talk to you here soon. All right. Have a good one. <laughs> so you're telling me if Notre Dame goes the entire year unbeaten, and wins every game by a point. You you just consider them good, not great. I said what I said. It's one eight hundred one eight hundred nine with it is the telephone number. They were thirty point dogs. One eight hundred nine with. They didn't it. even play to win. They, they literally played to cover that, and they they did their job. You talking about Indiana? Yes. And, and he's mad about all the punts and the way that they their philosophy appeared to be angled throughout that game. I hated that entire game. Did you lay the thirty? No. All right. No. I turned it off after the first quarter. I was like, I can't watch this. It was not exactly an offensive explosion, to say the least. Ohio State, though, Ohio State's enigmatic every year because if you judge Ohio State just based on how they play Indiana, you would say to yourself, like, I don't know. But then when it matters right. most, you know, Ohio State can, to use a racing term, uh, turn up the wick. No question. I'm well aware that the Ohio State team that was at Memorial Stadium is not the same Ohio State team that's going to be present in Notre Dame Stadium. That, that is correct. That is correct. And likewise, the team they're facing, <laughs> yes, which is the, the issue, right? Uh, Colts are going to do something unique on Sunday. We'll tell you what it is next. So on Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium, you walk in, you sit down, 
You get your slice of hot box pizza. You get a cold. What's the what's the official beer now of the Colts? Eddie, you're our only hope. My guess would be Coors Light, but I have no idea. I thought it or was Bud Light. Bud, 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 Bud Light. I think it's Bud, Bud Light. Light. So you get your Bud Light. Um, I think the official ice cream is like Mandy's ice cream, maybe a Wix sugar cream pie. And you're like, you know what? Or a Sub- Ben's pretzel. Oh, yes, please. I remember hot Sam pretzel, which were not very good at all, but the topping, man, a hot Sam pizza pretzel, just the best. Every once in a while, I want to get one of those Annie Ann's pretzels in a in like the in the airport. They still live up to the hype. Uh, yeah, but the line in an air people in airport food service industries don't seem to realize that you're in an airport, and you're like, yeah, man, I'm kind of in a hurry here. You know what I mean? And I don't fault them for this. People in the airport service industry hate their jobs, particularly in food centers like that, as much as people hate delays with their travel fair and when I, those two clash how bad would it nightmarish. suck i've always thought this how bad would it suck though to work at the airport because you, don't you have to go through security every time i mean i'm sure you have like a badge or whatever but think about like the parking the the like if you worked at o'hare what a nightmare oh man right no thank you um but you're you're sitting there and you're like okay everything feels familiar here everything feels familiar except one thing for the most part for this franchise, you have been used to watching a team that has a very designed running back. Jonathan Taylor, Joseph Adai, Edron James. It's always, you pretty much know who it is. And this year, at least for the time being, Colts going running back by committee. Yeah. By committee. Woo. So one minute, you look up and there's, you know, Deion Jackson's taking a handoff, right? Yep. Next minute, you look up. Evan Holes taking a handoff. Is that Zach Moss's music? Zach Moss, all of a sudden, taking a handoff by committee. Jake Funk, are you in the game? You know, that's my nickname in college. Um, <laughs> Jake, now, Jake Funk, is he's practice squad guy, right? Yeah. My understanding is, I think Kevin Bowen's the one that mentioned we did the morning show down there. Uh, Jake Funk, uh, attractive, significant other. Probably true of She a lot used of to the be players. on The Bachelor. Oh, really? Mm hmm. Obviously, was not the one selected, right? No, but she was one of the final three, I think. Three or four. Okay. Is she an attractive gal, Eddie? Let me take a look. Hold on. <laughs> Do you not watch The Bachelor? No. Jimmy, you watch The, the Bachelor? There was a phase where that was prevalent in the cookhouse, thanks to my wife. Love is Blind has been the dominant dating reality Love show. Love is Blind. Please us. elaborate. Uh, so they have contestants in sealed areas of this like big facility and you basically go on blind dates with like they'll have like 10 men 10 women and you're going into these pods what they call them where it's like a sealed room you can't see the person on the other side you get to know them over what i think is a span of a couple weeks and you have to propose and get married sight unseen and then they play out how many people actually say i do and go through with it and get married and how many leave one at the altar not everybody gets paired up some people leave without so wait, wait, wait how long does it take them to do this show I've never looked that up of how long it takes to film it, but... And this is on what network? Netflix. Oh, okay. New season coming up at the end of September. Okay. Eddie? She actually won The Bachelor. Well, that clearly worked out. <laughs> she was the winner of season 24, I guess. And who was The Bachelor? What loser was The Bachelor? Jake Peter Funk. Weber. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, isn't he a bowler? I thought he was a coach, like a basketball coach or something. Like, I don't know. So so Peter Weber wins The Bachelor, gives her the rose, 
and then they're like, oh, guess what? Like, life isn't really yeah, about like going parasailing in Honduras together on national television. Yeah, she's not. She's not too bad looking. Okay, she's easy on the eyes. Are they married? Uh, I believe they're dating. I don't know if they are engaged. People, or- People Magazine. This is the territory of internet now. Says that engaged to NFL boyfriend there Jake go. Funk. Okay, in January of this past now, year. Now, the power of the Bachelor. Let me tell you the power of the Bachelor. I, whatever year this would have been, I, I'm going to guess eight or nine years ago. I'm in Edmonton, Alberta, which if you've never been to Edmonton, Alberta, you get on a plane, you fly for six hours, you get off, and you're at 25th and Shadeland. Were you there for Edmonton? Oh, goodness. Who's their rival in hockey? What, the Oilers? Yes. No, I was. No, not. that's the team name, Edmonton yeah, Oilers. I know. Maple Leafs, Vancouver. I don't know. That's it. That's the only I'll one. figure it out later. All right. The Winnipeg Jets are probably their rival. Actually, probably the Calgary Flames. Calgary yes, Flames yes. is my adopted NHL yes, team. Yes, the Battle of Alberta. Yeah. Um, no, I was there for an IndyCar race. We uh, two years in a row, the Rexall Indy, whatever it was called, in Edmonton. So we we go, we fly to Edmonton. I'm at the racetrack all day. I'm leaving the racetrack, and this guy says to myself and Mark James, "Hey, can you are you guys going back to the hotel? Yeah, can you give me a ride? Sure. It's Ari Leindyke, right? So Ari Leindyke gets in the car, and Mark's driving. Uh, Nick Yeoman, I think, was with us, and Ari's in the car, and we're talking, and I'm like, okay, so we're riding to the hotel with a Ari Leindach, a two-time Indy 500 winner. Like, he should probably be driving, right? But he's in the, he's telling us fabulous stories about growing up in Holland. So we get to the hotel. We go walking in, and there's a wedding party going on, okay? Sure. So all so like a wedding reception is getting ready to get underway and all of the participants in the wedding are there because like the bride and groom still haven't shown up. They're taking pictures, whatever. So all the, and we go walking in and this woman probably, I I, I mean, I'm going to say a 30 year old Pamela Anderson esque Canadian woman goes crazy over Ari Leindyke. I mean, goes crazy. Like is like, hyperventilating that Ari Leindyke has walked into the hotel and she has to get a she's like oh my gosh I have to get a photo and she's like running to get her girlfriends and they're like the whole bridal party is ecstatic that Ari Leindyke is in the lobby of the Edmonton Hotel and so they're they're all taking pictures so they're taking photos and I'm standing there and they're having me take the photos and then Johnny Rutherford walks in and so I say to them well looks like we're going to be here another five minutes and like what are you talking about and I'm like, well, I mean, Ari Leindyke's a two-time Indy 500 winner. Don't get me wrong. It's pretty cool, 1990-1997. But we have three-time winner Johnny Rutherford just walked in, <laughs> right? Three-time winner Johnny Rutherford just walked in. Three better than two, 74, 76, and 80. Here's Johnny Rutherford comes walking in. And I go, so you guys need to get your picture taken with him. And they look at me like literally record player stops. Record player stops, dead silence. And the girl looks at me and goes, oh, no, we just know that's Ari Jr.'s dad from the in-home on The Bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> and it was when Ari Leindyke Jr. was on the, he was The Bachelor, and it was like the week after, I guess on this show, they do the in-home visits. Sure. And they, so they recognized Ari Leindyke and that they had zero clue that he was involved in racing in any way, shape, or form, or that the race was taking place at the Edmonton airport or wherever it was. And you got a reminder of the pull power that is present with The Bachelor. That is that correct. Franchise. I was like, oh my gosh. Now, um... The only of the I, I don't see any of those shows per se, uh, but but I am to your point, Jimmy, in talking about you know you you lose remote control access and you end up watching that. I have to watch a lot of um, the Real Housewives of name the county. Ours is Orange County. There's Orange. There's um, Haley never misses that. 
Well, then there's there's a New York one and there's an Atlanta one yes. and there, you know it's a whole it's a whole a lot series. like the Got Talent franchise, a number of different spinoffs there. <laughs> That's yep. right. Yep. And then you have this that Andy Cohen fella. He has they have reunion shows every three days. It's been three days since our last reunion show, but here's a reunion show, and you got to watch for 10 more minutes because, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe this, but Cindy and Chandra are fighting again, and this, and I'm just, oh my gosh. And then there's another show about these uh, drunken people that fight all the time and hook up with each other, and they're all on a boat, you know, under deck or below deck or, or over, man overboard or something. I don't sure, know. Sure. That's on all the time, too. And they're all the same. They're all the same. It, it's all terrible. Yeah, it's all a different repackaged reality show life that you can kind of get where it's going, ultimately going to end in fights, turmoil, and reconciliation. Uh, who will be the Colts' leading rusher on Sunday? Anthony Richardson. I think that's a fair statement. I think that's fair. I. How many yards? Can I cheat during the break and look at what his over-under is if that's no, out yet? No. I can't cheat. 1-800-9-WITH-IT-1-800-GAMBLER. Either one is fine. Uh, 80. 56, Ooh. I'll say. I was going to go lower than both of you. I was going to say like 45. Okay. I mean, the Colts struggled to run the ball against Jacksonville last year, and Deion Jackson's got a career average of 3.3 yards per carry, and you got a rookie in Evan Hole who had barely cracked, I think, three, three yards per carry in preseason. Richardson ends up with a... 50-yard scamper at some point, oh, and then he gets to rest. He, come back he, to he, he gets the rest. Hey, I, come back down to earth. You're asking yeah. I, I, I would agree that Richardson is going to have some yards that are going to come on some sort of broken play. I mean, he's going to have like a 20-yard scamper at one point on a play that is not even designed to be a run. Right. Right? How many designed running plays for Anthony Richardson? Seven. I think that's a yeah. pretty good number. Yeah, I, I was I'll support say that. eight. Okay. Trying to find out. Amongst if I can find running backs, leading rusher for the Colts. I mean, if he plays Zach Moss, like barring there being a report I'll go, that he's I'll on go a pitch Jackson. count, I'll say, okay. But I'll say Zach Moss. Evan Hole. Look at us going all three here, right? Uh, one sports book does not have any Colts players listed for rushing yard props. I would assume that is part due, in fact, to if Zach Moss is playing week one or not. So I'll have to revisit that later in the week. 1-800-9-WITH-IT. <laughs> it's the telephone number, by the way. Um, we come back. Speaking of that, Jimmy, you got a couple of picks for tonight? I do. A little bit All of MLB right. action. We'll do that on the other side. Hey, just a reminder, join the fan on Wednesday, September 20th from 10 a.m. to 4. That's in the afternoon. For the Radio 1 and Martin University Career Fair, you can get your foot in the door, have your resume reviewed by HR professionals, and get a free headshot. All again, September the 20th from 10 until 4 at Martin University. For more information, head to 1075thefan.com. That is two weeks from today, if my math serves me correctly. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, all baseball. We'll take the Toronto Blue Jays to win the money line in Oakland against the Athletics. Also going to take the Baltimore Orioles on the money line over the Los Angeles Angels. Give me the Yankees over the Tigers tonight in the Boogie Down Bronx to close things out. I'll take the Reds over the Mariners. Eddie, anything for you? Nothing today. Haven't had a chance to look in all honesty. All right, then. Uh, Orioles, by the way, uh, simply known as cute fella, Jimmy. Yeah. Well, the, the little cute fella on their hat. <laughs> he's just saying, hey, root for me. And they're, they're good this year. They are good. It's worth. Uh, JMV has walked into the studio. John, good afternoon. The Boogie Down. Boogie Down, Boogie, Boogie Down Bronx. The Boogie Down Bronx. Boogie Down Productions. 
Jake. Hip hop. I, I do know. Boogie, right I do there. know some boogie down productions. Uh, I was just saying that James today, one, right? James today is dressed like Dexy's Midnight Runners. By the way, he does kind of look like yeah, doesn't <laughs> he? Does, he? Got, he had no idea what you're the, talking about though. <laughs> it's he's got on like the baggy shorts. They're not necessarily the overalls. Yeah. If you mention like Slayer or Lamb of God or something like <laughs> that, he would, yeah, Slipknot, you know. Guar. Did you just get done playing some hoops, man? You got <laughs> on the high top. Go coach it though. I'm, I'm uh, assistant coaching my daughter's team. Oh, really? Uh, I'm sure she loves that. Oh, they're going to get ready to run. I hope they. I'm sure Laney loves that. They better be stretching right now. <laughs> tell you what, we're going to get up down the floor. We're getting up and down the floor. A little pressure, a little chaos. A little you meet at the barbershop on Saturdays. People tell you what defense to run. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, the heck with that little full court style. So, make your makeables, right, Jake? No turnovers. Make no turn- your makeables. Little which seven is, seconds which means or less. Make layups. Seven uh, seconds or less, Mike gotta, D'Antoni gotta, action. Well, you got to make. You make layups. What's lined so, up for the know. big show today, John? I don't even know, James. What do you got over there? Guar and Slayer and who else? <laughs> Megadeth on today? I can't wait. What <laughs> up, Dockin'? Do you ever like Dockin'? Oh, yeah, rockin' like Dockin'. <laughs> well, I play it for Shannon on Saturday nights for you guys. <laughs> Shannon is a triumph and Dockin'. I never saw somebody more excited when I played Triumph and Magic Power <laughs> yeah. than when she was. I know. She was more excited. Than anybody, she's more excited than Triumph. I think they created the song. The best is during the the Saturday night takeovers when Shannon and I are out driving around. I always send you a video. She starts to sing along to some song and she gets about two lines in and then yeah. forgets all the words. Do you ever know anybody that really screwed up the words and songs? Oh, what's what's the worst one? Big old Jack got a light on. How about this? Dirty Deeds and the Thunder Chief. <laughs> Instead of dirty well, deeds. Well, blinded by the light cheap. is also a pretty common one, right? But we'll leave it <laughs> yeah, at that. Exactly. All right, John, have fun. All right.